Might have to because I got a little forgetful with it. Um, so my guest today is Emily Sweat. Emily, thank you so much for being here. Uh, archaeologist, historian for the forest. Am I missing anything? No, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, and well, it was cool because like um, some people kind of they're just like, uh, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Oh, it's a podcast." I'm like, what's it about? And I explain a little bit, and they're like, "Maybe." And then usually after a while, they like find some interest and listen to the podcast, and they're like, "Oh, it sounds, doesn't sound too bad." And then they're like, oh, "I'll do it." But you were just like, "Yeah, sure, let's do it." So yeah, thank you for that. Well, yeah, I mean, I've heard about your podcast. Uh, we're big fans in Heritage. Oh, <laughs> so. you guys are too kind. Well, I jumped at the opportunity, and uh, anytime there's an opportunity to talk about heritage and archaeology and cultural resources, I mean, we should take it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, getting the word out there. Like, I yeah. think you talked about that before, just letting people kind of know more about the history of where you live. And I think that yeah. helps, you know, like, you feel more part of the land if you know where it, what it's been through, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's kind of important to know, too. I mean, especially for all of us who are recreating out in the Bitterroot. Yeah. It's kind of knowing the history and it helps protect the sites, uh, you know, treat them with respect. Yeah. So. Totally, yeah. And, and then, like, um, knowing the history and the landmarks, too, right? Because everyone knows, mm-hmm. you know, if you're going up Magruder Corridor, you know, you have, like, Nez Pass, of course, and then Magruder Massacre site, and then right. all these, like, landmarks where you're like, oh, yeah, I was, how far up were you in the, especially up the West Fork? You're like, how far are you up the West Fork? You're like, oh, I made it up to Nez Pass or Magruder Ranger Station or Magruder Massacre site. You know, like, there's all these little landmarks, you know, they're yeah. historical. We get a lot of calls, too, from uh, members of the public who are wondering why certain places are named certain things. Like, why is Magruder Ranger Station named Magruder Ranger Station when it yeah. used to be Deep Creek? So, oh, man, I think I knew that. That's wild. So, what? Yeah. When did it change? Uh, it changed in the late 20s oh. when the Bitterroot National Forest uh, became the administrator for that area. Uh, originally, it was under the Selway National Forest. Oh, I never knew. And that was actually the Deep Creek Ranger Station. Oh, so wow. when the Bitterroot kind of became the administrator, because uh, the forest boundaries shifted, so the Selway became part of the Bitterroot and some of the other forests that are our neighbors. Oh, yeah. Wow, yeah, I never knew, because I've heard the name Deep Creek, and I think some of the... Some other folks have, have called it that before, and I yeah. did not know it was the same thing as Magruder. <laughs> I was like, it's the same thing. Oh, where's that? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I thought it was just like another historic spot because um, there's a map. Well, the lookout map that we were messing with the other day that has all the historic lookouts on it has like an historic ranger uh, station at like Medicine Tree and like a few spots that either right. may not have existed or did for a short period of time. So I thought that was what Deep Creek was. I didn't realize it was the same as Magruder. Is, is Magruder oh, know? it is Magruder. Uh, cool. But the buildings that are there now uh, were constructed by the Bitterroot. So that's oh. Magruder. Um, the buildings that were part of Deep Creek, the much earlier structures from the 20s, are no longer there for the most part. There is one structure from like the late 20s that's oh. part of the site. Which one's that? Uh, the Fire Cache. Oh, by the fire cache? Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah, but kind of on the hill, right? Before you, like, go down to the horse corral. That, is that the fire cache? Oh, no, the fire uh, cache is fire in cache between. Is, yeah, it's yeah, in the sorry. middle. No, it's <laughs> okay. As it was coming out, I was like, oh, wait a minute. I know where the fire cache is. Yeah, because if you're on the main road, um, it's kind of between the road and the ranger station, right? Is the fire cache there? Kind of. It's down more uh, in the center by the uh, administrative, or the administrative building, we call it. But yeah. That's, yeah, I'm, I'm calling it wrong. Because the ranger's house is like the first one as you go in. Right. So the ranger house is the first one. And that's yeah. usually the one that's rentable by the public. Oh. Then there's the second structure. It's the office building. 
in quotations, <laughs> and that's the administrative building. So like when we do our wilderness surveys, because we're supposed to go out and survey a certain amount of acres in the Frank Church and the Selway, uh, we'll use Magruder as kind of our uh, launch point, and we'll stay in the administrative cabin. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. wow. That's cool. Yeah, the administrative yeah. cabin's really nice. I, I got to kind of check it out when um, the Montana elders were there. I think it's Montana elders. Um, it's a cool group that helps out with the youth and Wish, oh, wow. wish I could remember that better. I need like a little checks. I need like some sheets so I can like <laughs> r- uh, reference all the folks that I've worked with and got to hang out with that I think are really cool. And, um, but that group is there and they, they help out with the youth and teach them like fly fishing and, and fly, tying flies and archery. And, oh, wow. Yeah, and like some axe throwing. It's, it's really cool and, and some horsemanship really cool. too. Yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, how did you end up here, I guess? They advertised a job for an archaeologist, a recent graduate. Oh. So someone who uh, had is either kind of like finishing up school or, you know, just graduated. And I applied and got the job. <laughs> oh, awesome. so yeah, I mean, you're like fresh out of school and on the Forest Service then, huh? Yeah, uh, I'm still working on my master's. I'm still in school, but oh, really? <laughs> I was fresh out of my bachelor's program. Oh, cool. So, Where'd you yeah. get your bachelor's at? At the University of Nevada, Reno. Oh, yeah, Reno. Yeah, I think you, yeah, I think you told me that. Oh, cool. Yeah. So you've, like, jammed in a ton of information in a short <laughs> period of time then, huh? Yeah. Uh, it's been trial by fire, I'd say. Yeah, I bet. Well, I mean, I mean, I'm really impressed because <laughs> just talking to you the other day and all the knowledge you had on the forest, and I've been here since 2019 or 20. And oh, wow. Yeah, on the fire side of things, but you know way more than I do no. <laughs> about the forest. It's like it's... I, I think you do, but um, no. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it's impressive, and then impressive that you were just like, sure, I'll come talk about a forest I just am brand new on. You know, that's really cool. Well, yeah, I mean, it's an important opportunity. Uh, I've been here for a little over a year, and I've worked hard to kind of research and learn as much as I can. I still have a lot to learn, and I'd love to talk to you more about your experience in fire and learn more from you as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I don't have a lot to, at least, you know, everyone's experience is always like boring to them i think you know but uh i guess i got a few things i can share but um why i want to have you on though is talk about the magruder massacre is that what you want to talk about we we can talk about whatever you want to talk about but well i think we're getting close to halloween so this is the time to talk about the magruder massacre yeah absolutely i'm glad you said that because that yeah i meant to kind of intro us is that like kind of a halloween podcast and i was going to get some decorations but kind of forgot it's okay. so yeah. <laughs> it's been a long week it has yeah and, and i had some like ones i was gonna borrow from the office but they just didn't seem to like really match the decor so that's but, okay yeah so i guess yeah kind of doing a halloween uh podcast here talking about like murders around the national forest historic murders i guess yeah uh this one in particular because they think it's important to heritage uh specifically as a program and we'll kind of talk about that at the end oh yeah perfect yeah. Yeah, that'd be great so yeah where, wherever you want to kick off i guess so, I mean, this is a really uh, rich and unique valley. It's very rich in history. Uh, so it includes different types of history. So it's like pre-contact history, post-contact history. But we're going to talk about a specific um, historic story, which is uh, the murder of Lloyd Magruder. Oh, spooky. Ooh, spooky. So in the 1860s, a lot of people, especially from the southeast, were moving out west to try and strike it rich during the gold rush. Uh, This was kind of during and a little bit after the Civil War, so they were trying to escape kind of everything that was going on in the East Coast. And Lloyd Magruder was one of these individuals. So he uh, actually is from, he was from Montgomery County, Maryland. 
Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. I didn't. I didn't know that part of it. Like uh, trying to escape the civil war and all the probably like just chaos and you know stuff that was yeah. going on involved with that. Wow. I won't. I won't interrupt you. Well, no. <laughs> that, that, that just caught me. It was me a brutal war. So. Yeah. Yeah. Probably not. Yeah, and especially if you were, you know, somewhere in between, like, you know, if you didn't want to take a side or whatever, you'd probably just be best to take off and yeah. go find a, a new life, I imagine. Yeah, and the promise of kind of getting involved in what was going on out here with Gold Rush and, you know, striking it rich, that was a really big idea. Yeah. And it was your opportunity to get a ton of money. You could be just like your wealthy neighbor. Yeah, totally, yeah, and all the stories, I mean, even like that old Johnny Horton song about going to Alaska and striking yeah. rich, and then at one point in the song, he's talking about uh, two of the fellows who were mining, they're just talking about, uh, you know, the old sweetheart that they left back at home, and he's like, I'd trade right. all, all the gold in this land for, you know, ring upon Jenny's hand, I think is how the song goes, so yeah, it's kind of funny, but that was, yeah, like I said, that was a big deal, was like, try to yeah. go out and make it, make that money, and maybe bring it home, huh? Yeah, just surviving. Yeah. One of the best ways to survive at that time was to try and get some type of money and funding. Yeah, not a lot of jobs probably. And yeah, it, I mean, it was a different time. So the gold rush gave people an opportunity who uh, had maybe not been born into money and didn't really see a way out for themselves to kind of achieve what they wanted. Yeah, probably in the alternatives, like, I don't even know, probably like gold mines or war, I guess, you know, at that point, it's a... Civil War's going on. Yeah. Dang. So, he actually arrived in Lewiston, Idaho around 1862, and he did become very successful, not so much at mining, but as a merchant and a trader. Uh, and he primarily worked kind of in the Clearwater and Salmon River regions, uh, and he frequently ran mule strains, kind of uh, packed with provisions and equipment for a lot of the miners that were coming into the area. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, I mean, this area is really narrow. You have very narrow trails uh, and steep-sided canyons. So it, it's not like an easy trek to kind of get from one spot to the other. And this is way before cars or airplanes. So yeah. I mean, you're on horseback just and chugging along. Yeah, and maybe just taking someone's word for it. Like, oh, yeah, there's yeah. a trail that kind of goes up this ridge. And then, you know, you'll see a rock and you take a right or whatever it might be. You know, like, there's probably not a... I mean, there maybe there's a decent trail, but even then, you know, like, it, it'd probably be pretty treacherous, I imagine. Yeah, even following just, like, a pretty uh, well-determined trail is difficult at this time. Yeah. It's difficult today. Yeah, totally. Like, yeah, even today you got to plan, like, water and, and where you're going to yeah. sleep. And, you know, especially with a, a big pack string, too. Oh, huh? yeah. It's difficult. Yeah. So in August of 1863, uh, Lloyd kind of took a string of 60 mules, and he's got it loaded with merchandise and minor supplies, uh, and he's heading for Bannock, Montana, which is a big mining uh, camp at that time. Oh, yeah. This is a Montana territory right now, so it's not the state of Montana, so it's the Wild West. Oh, yeah, I didn't think about that, right? 1889 or it's something? It's crazy. Right? Yeah. yeah. Dang. <laughs> So the trip that he took is roughly 300 miles, so it took him a little over two months. Wait, how many miles did you say again? Over 300. Over 300? Jeez, yeah, it took me a minute to process that. Is yeah. That, and how many months? Uh, just over two. Just over two, jeez. Yeah. Get my leg up here. Dang, that's <laughs> nuts. Holy cow. It's a, it's a long trek. Yeah. Man. 
And I think some of our surveys are long, but I don't think we've ever done a 300-mile one. So yeah, I've never, pretty yeah, wild. I've never walked that far. I'd like to know, I mean, I guess the Appalachian Trail and, like, the Pacific Crest Trail are probably way further than that, but that's ah, a long ways. Holy it cow. is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've got to be in shape. Like, that's rough. Yeah. Especially, yeah, if you just came off the couch, try to do that. Whew. Bearing me out there. (laughs) (laughs) It would be hard. Yeah. Uh, But in order to kind of cross the upper selway, which is where he's going, uh, he utilized portions of the southern Nez Pierce Trail. Uh, Today, portions of this trail are actually preserved uh, through the Yimipus National Historic Trail. So you can kind of block portions of that, and there is a visitor center. Uh, They have a fantastic website, too, that kind of shows you uh, maps. uh, And this is the trail... Uh, which was carved by members of the Nez Pierce tribe uh, during their flight from their homelands when they were being pursued by uh, U.S. Army oh, yeah. generals uh, Howard, Sturgis, and Miles. Yeah, some some of my people there. Yeah. Yeah, that's what, yeah. I got. I don't know much about that, so that's that's interesting too. But I don't want to get you off off subject. I got, I got questions, but we'll save it for a different one. Okay. <laughs> well, it, I mean that too is also a great topic to talk about. Uh, next time we do a podcast yeah definitely i was, I was thinking that too because that's a heck of a journey itself and my, my yeah. brother my older brother just uh finished the book i think it's called flight of the nez pierce or nez pierce and he uh yeah he learned a lot and a lot of stuff that wasn't passed down by my my grandma so uh, kind of interesting so yeah we could definitely probably do yeah. almost a whole podcast just on that oh easily yeah i mean the entire history of this valley is really fascinating and amazing yeah pre-contact is really interesting yeah oh it totally is yeah and i mean was it lewis and clark um just down the i'm trying to i'm gonna try hard not to do your else but my, <laughs> my, my brain like add kicks in but i mean just down in like uh was it french basin or ross's hole ross's hole right? ross's hole where lewis and clark came through right i uh, that's where they initially met uh the bitterroot salish yeah yeah and the reason i know that is because it was from a charlie russell painting i saw yeah <laughs> i was like oh cool that's saw it recently so yeah, that's a really cool painting. Yeah. It's, uh, I believe it was on display in Helena at the Montana Historical Society. Oh, really? Yeah, but oh, don't cool. quote me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it might yeah, might be still or, or was, you know, I think yeah, they moved around a little bit, right? Else. Yeah, 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 but there's also a really great uh, PBS documentary that kind of talks about uh, Russell and his work. Yeah, I got to painting. see a chunk of that. Yeah, it was really good. I, like, it, you know, they ask you if you want to buy a copy, and usually at the end, I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, it was interesting, but after that yeah. one, I was like, man, I should try to buy that one, because that was really, <laughs> I could watch that one a few times, but I'll, I'll let you keep going. Okay. Well, uh, so uh, even though he's using this kind of already pre-carved out uh, trail, it's still uh, considerably more dangerous than what uh, he kind of was doing before uh, most of his runs as a merchant. Uh, his friend, Hill Beachy, uh, actually warned him not to make the trip, and he furnished him with a firearm for the journey, and this will be a little spooky, but uh, Beachy had a dream the night before uh, in which he foresaw Lloyd's fate. So a little bit of a psychic moment there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Ooh. Yeah. That yeah. is well, that's spooky. I mean, you got, like, goosebumps. goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, you only catch a little bit of the story, you know, when you live in the valley or yeah. you, know, you fight fire and you hear like Magruder and then someone's like, oh, yeah, I got killed. And you're like, oh, how'd that happen? And you kind of get a rough story. Like even the 60 mules, it's like I heard that and I was like, like that's a lot of mules. I mean, that's a huge string. It's a huge, huge string. Yeah. yeah. So like I, 
wasn't sure if I was telling that right when I repeat the story to people. So that, that's impressive there. So he had never done the trip before, and his buddy PT was like, maybe this is a pretty rough one. You don't want to do this one? Yeah, I mean, he had been kind of doing various trips out from Lewiston into Montana, but I don't think he had taken quite so large a mule pack or uh, going down this particular route. Oh. So, yeah. So Beachy warned him not to go. Yeah. He didn't, spoiler alert, he didn't listen to his friend. (laughs) Yeah, his friend didn't go, right? No, no, Beachy stayed behind. Uh, I think he had a job in Lewiston. Uh, He was a prominent member of the community. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and he'll feature pretty heavily towards the end of the story too. Oh, this yeah. This kind of just his introduction. <laughs> yeah, don't let me don't let me ruin the story. Oh so no! Stop me if I'm asking too much. No, you're <laughs> not. No. <laughs> so, um, there were about a few days from Bannock uh, when seven additional travelers kind of showed up on horseback and joined Magruder's caravan. So, I mean, he's got sixty mules in his pack train. I mean, it's a lot. So he's obviously hired a few people yeah. to help him out. Normal. I, so I, they were miners from Lewiston and were planning to try their luck in Montana. So they were also trying to strike it rich, oh. find some gold. I, so, I mean, at this point, Magruder and his, um, the people he's hired, uh, they're exhausted. So they agree to allow the men to assist his team in exchange for just food. So then they reach Panic, uh, and the company, Magruder's company, uh, they learn that most of the miners have kind of left. Uh, They've headed further east to Elder Gulch, uh, where Virginia City has kind of popped up. That's a pretty big spot for mining now, or it was then. Yeah. Uh, So Magruder ended up selling nearly... $30,000 worth of just goods in a short amount of time. And that $30,000 today would be like ridiculous, right? Yeah, that would be insane. Yeah, like, (laughs) yeah, the value of $30,000 back then is, you know, probably, it's gotta be over a million, right? Oh, easily. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's rich. Like, he's made it. This is what he came here to do, and he's done it. He's good. He's got this. Had Had to feel great for a minute. I think he did, yeah. 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 I'm sure he did. I mean, he probably felt like, finally, you know, like, I've worked really hard. I've, you know, traveled so far from my home. I've made a new home for myself, and he's got a wife, and he's got kids. Oh. Like, now he's, you know, finally got some money to support the family. Support everybody, yeah. 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 He's probably feeling accomplished at this point, so. Yeah, it's going to feel pretty awesome. Yeah. Heck of a journey. I mean, just getting there. Right. I mean, yeah. you just made a 300-mile trip <laughs> yeah. down the Selway, and you I mean, this is not easy terrain? No. Yeah, if anyone hasn't been to the Selway, I advise, like, Googling it and taking some pictures, look at some pictures yeah. and videos. It's it's pretty heinous, I guess would be the right word. Like, it's it's pretty heinous country. You know, it's pretty yeah. gnarly. It's gnarly. Um, and if you don't know what you're getting into, uh, it can be real dangerous real quick. Oh, I bet. Because even nowadays, if you go up top, like Nuts Pass or any of the areas that go up to, like, where Salmon Mountain, Look- Salmon Mountain Lookout is, which isn't too far from the massacre site, I mean, it's still, like, there's nothing out there. And this, no. I mean, this is modern times, 2023, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, back in 1862, there's that it was? 
I about this time it's 1863. 63. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So 1862, he shows up in Lewiston, and 1863, he's on the way. Oh, uh, to Bannock. Oh, yeah. Gotcha. All right. So it takes him a year to kind of get established and, you know, yeah. set up with his uh, merchant company. So. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Pretty quick, though. I mean, year, especially in those times, right? you know, yeah. snail mail and like, get everything <laughs> set up. Like, that'd, be, that'd be a lot of work to get that going. And, and now he's Go in Bannock, huh? Yeah, now he's in Bannock. He's just sold a ton of stuff and he's just made a ton of money. That's awesome. So now he's rich. Yeah. He's got to go back. He's got to, you know, go back 300 miles and he's still got all those mules. So. Oh, yeah, 60. Yeah. So most of the members of his crew actually ended up leaving his employment at this time. Uh, they're choosing to seek their uh, wealth in the gold mines. Oh. And, I mean, they're kind of leaving them shorthanded. When you came here with 60 mules, now he's got to go back to Lewiston with 60 mules, and he's all by himself. Oh, brutal. I know. I mean, he's just made all this money, but he's all by himself for this really long, very difficult journey. And he's got to care for his mules, which, yeah. you know, he cares for. He, they're important. Yeah, That's he's his livelihood. Yeah. Also, mules are kind of cute. They are, yeah. They're, yeah. Yeah, they're, yeah if, you know, anyone who's been around mules, like, and especially, I mean, you're living with them nonstop, probably the whole time he's had them, you know, because yeah. he had to take care of them all the time, and especially on a, you know, 300-mile tour, you know. Yeah. They, they are what make you money, so you take care of them like they're your own kids, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a respect thing, too. I mean, these are animals that are, you know, helping you. They're, like, holding, pulling your stuff for you. Yeah. They've just helped you gain $30,000. Yeah. So... Yeah, you don't want to leave them behind. You want to treat them well. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, reward them for their for their effort too. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're special animal. I really like mules a lot. I do too. I you have to be careful, like not to spook them, and you have to treat them with respect. But if you do, I mean, they're fantastic. Yeah, totally. Yep. Yeah. yeah, you gotta be safe around them for sure. Well, every animal. I mean, every animal. Just respectfully treat. And yeah. They'll be great to hang out with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you get that, and you get that return. You know, like yeah. most people get it from like a dog, but you get the same thing from a mule. You know, it's just a lot bigger, and a little, little more dangerous in, a in some ways. Bit. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like I said, I mean, you treat it with respect and care, and you, yeah, it, you get it back from them for sure. Oh, absolutely, and I have no doubt his mules felt the same about him. Yeah, so. absolutely. It, it was a mutual. It was a mutual relationship. I mean, everybody was ganging and. Yeah. Everybody had respect for each other. So. Yeah. I mean, even even the mules probably felt the accomplishment of making that long trip. Yeah, you know? I'm sure yeah. they did. They are like, yeah. hey, we just did like a 300-mile hike over this really steep mountain. Yeah. Look at us go. Yeah, exactly. Look at us. Yeah, we're awesome. <laughs> yeah, we're cool. Yeah, totally. And <laughs> and they and they vibe off human emotion. You, you hear yeah. a lot of times like folks getting bucked off who are really nervous about a horse and the horse feels that energy and and then right. yeah they, they get a little tight on the rein and usually they end up getting launched off the back of the horse because of the energy that they're putting off so yeah the, the mules definitely feel that too oh yeah and that's why it's really important like if you're gonna uh, do horse riding or work with mules to go through uh training yeah like, absolutely. Uh, here on the forest like we have to go through uh, horsemanship training before we can work with the horses or the mules and yeah. uh, for heritage i mean we use pack support when we do our wilderness surveys so the mule team will pack out some of our gear for us but oh, we're awesome. always thinking like how heavy is this going to be is this going to be okay for the mule like yeah yeah and balance and yeah. balancing the, uh, the weight on the mule too right yeah. and we have a fantastic uh, pack crew here on the 
their route, especially out on the West Fork. I mean, they do a great job of taking care of the animals. So. Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, I got to work, yeah. I think, with all of them now at this point. And, yeah, they're all amazing. Yeah. It's really cool to see them go to work, and I mostly get in the way, so. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Distract them while they're trying to work and ask them a bunch of dumb questions, probably, is usually what I do. Oh, no, it's always good to ask questions because, I mean, you stop and think. I mean, even as, like, professional, I mean, you're doing everything day in, day out. Sometimes getting asked questions makes you stop and think. You're like, oh. That's true. You kind of reset your brain a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Kinda helps, I think. Kind of break up sometimes. Just the monotony of it, yeah. too. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, um, and it, you know, I, I've been around horses mostly and packing in hunting camps that were just horses. And uh, so when I'm around mules, I'm, I'm more fascinated. And been, you know, same fire support. We, we had, uh, right. you know, packed in supplies by uh, mules, especially when I was in the Bob Marshall Wilderness. And so I was bugging that packer, too. I was like, what you got going on here you know <laughs> how much how much weight can these things carry you know like yeah and you know watch them build like the manis and stuff you know which is super cool but. it's important to know that stuff especially even if they're helping to support what you guys are doing out in the field because then you get a better sense of kind of what they have to do and what the mules can carry what they can't carry and yeah. you know, how much weight are you willing to carry versus are you willing to have the mule carry yeah yeah totally yeah especially in smoke jump world we, you know try to and a little bit of a pride thing try to carry maybe a little more than than <laughs> was the same inherited no, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bet, yeah that makes yeah. sense just, just being human i guess yeah i think so yeah we're pretty competitive too i think in our crew it's a good competitive it's a very positive environment yeah totally you make <laughs> each other better you know like yeah yeah, the old saying, like, you are, you surround yourself with, so people are go, go-getters, and, you know, right. you're going to be a go-getter yourself. Typically, you would be anyways, but they help build you up, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I like to think that's what we're doing. Yeah, from, you know, just a short period of time been around you guys, you guys are definitely awesome. I mean, like, the energy coming thank from you, you guys' <laughs> area in the office is, is, is cool, and it's contagious, for sure, you know? Well, thank you, I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. It's the same for you, I... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm building my little corner in the office <laughs> us in the planning area. But yeah. Well, I mean, we're slowly building that part of the building up, so. Yeah, totally, yeah, and getting getting all the, you know, post-COVID, like, kind of relations back together, you know, like, as the you know, yeah. SO was empty, you know, for the last ooh, year and a half almost, you know, and now right. it's getting back in and getting the get, good. Getting yeah. relationships, yeah, and yeah. working on stuff like this. Yeah, which is really exciting. Yeah, it's really cool. So... Mm-hmm. Magruder's in Bannock. Yes, so he's getting ready to leave Bannock because he's just made oh, yeah. all the money that he needed at this point. I mean, I'm sure he was probably planning to continue to work because then he could continue to make money. Yeah. Which is important. Uh, so, of the seven miners who kind of joined his party outside of Bannock, four actually offered to travel back uh, with him and assist with the return trip just in exchange for food. Oh. Just a little suspicious. Yeah. If you ask me. Yeah, it seems but a little, little cheap. didn't. So. <laughs> yeah. I, and then he ended up hiring two additional crew members, uh, and then also was joined by uh, two brothers and their pack string. So he gave them permission to kind of travel with him. So mm. he's got a good little group. Yeah, kind of built the team back up a little bit. A little bit. I mean, he's got some more mules because he's now got another pack string that's kind of following him out but he's got a good amount of people to support him 
So it's not too bad. It's not just him alone with 60 meals. So. Yeah, that'd be like impossible pretty much. It would know. be hard. Yeah. A lot harder than his journey already is. Yeah, totally. he's already wore out from the one way I imagine, you know. Yeah, I bet. And I mean, they leave Virginia City on October 3rd. And by October 12th, I mean, they're in the Bitterroot Valley. Dang. That's so, quite a big round. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, folks can pull out a map or their phone or something and check it out like that. Back to the Bitterroot is, and you got to imagine on foot, <laughs> it's right. a long, long way, you know. Like, it's a long ways. Yeah, so they cover some pretty good ground because Bannock's almost in Dillon, Montana, and then, you know, we're in Hamilton, Montana is like the Bitterroot. So <laughs> that's a cruise. I mean, they did a great job. Yeah. And then, so that's when they begin the ascent into the Selway River along the Southern Ness Pierce Trail. Oh, that's so they're going back. Um, and it's not too long after that, uh, on the evening of October 13th, Magruder is tending to the mules uh, when all of a sudden uh, one of the four miners who offered to travel back with him, um, he drives an axe into the back of Magruder's head. Ooh. Yeah. And so they uh, end up murdering him uh, with several... Blows. I mean, they just kind of hack at him until he. Until uh, they're sure he's no yeah. more. Yeah. Oh. It's a little gruesome. That's very gruesome. Yeah. And like Magruder, no suspicions. And just. I don't know. I guess I would ask him, No way, no, I don't think he had a choice. I mean, he had 60 mules and his crew had deserted him because, you know, they're seeking a better life as well and you can't be mad at that. But yeah. Yeah, kind absolutely. of left him in the, in the dust. So these yeah. are just strangers. I mean, nothing happened on the way there, so I'm sure he probably was like, I mean, I guess. Like, he had no other options. True, yeah, desperate times, right? Yeah. Desperate measures. Unfortunately, it just didn't work out. Yeah, <laughs> it was horrible. Yeah. So, I mean, the murderers recovered his $30,000, uh, and... According to legend, uh, there was another individual. Uh, his name is Paige. Uh, and he's told not to interfere by the murderers. Mm. So Paige kind of has some knowledge of this area. So they need him to kind of guide them back through the mountain. And they're not planning to go back to Lewiston. They're trying to escape somewhere else. Because they know if they go back to Lewiston... People are going to be like, what happened to Magruder? Like, what did you do? Yeah, be some questions. Yeah, it, they're going to have to, you know, get out of that somehow. So they're trying to escape somewhere else. But um, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so there's four other people uh, remaining in the caravan. So you have um, the two murderers and Paige. He's kind of the new guy that they've set aside. So they haven't killed him. There's the two brothers that have their own separate pack strain that are traveling with Magruder. Uh, so they murder them as well. They murder the brothers too? Yeah, I mean, oh. no witnesses, you know. Yeah, true. Otherwise, Dang. yeah, you know, give back the money and you will end up in jail. So. Yeah, holy cow. Cold-blooded, these guys. I know. I, but by the end of the night, five people had been murdered. So everyone that was part of Magruder's caravan, except for the three murderers and Paige. So another guy joins the two murderers, and he kills um, the other 
miners that were with them. So. so there's three left at this point, you said? You said right? So there's four. Oh, the four, three murderers yeah. and Paige, he's the oh, three murders, guide. Yeah. 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 My math wasn't Sorry. working. <laughs> no, no, you, you explained it perfectly. My math wasn't working in my head. Oh, wow. Because the first, uh, a little side note, I guess. The first time I heard the story, I was, um, I can't remember. I think I was actually like going up Blodgett and someone told me a story about Magruder. But they only told me that Magruder was killed. Lloyd Magruder was killed. Right. So I was like, massacre. Wouldn't that just be like the murder? Like Magruder murder, not Magruder massacre? So I'm like, it had to be more than one. But no one knew the rest of the story. So essentially, I know it was five. Dang. Yeah, five people. Yeah. Maintenance. D- rough night. That's pretty bad. Yeah. October. Do they have a date on that? October? October 13th is okay. um, what the historic records say. Oof. Yeah. Or if it was a Friday. Mm. Might have been. Might have been. Probably, yeah, I could probably look that up. I'm going to look that up later. Yeah, I should have looked that up, but I, I did not. So. Uh, well, yeah, I've, yeah, I've, yeah, I should have thought about it. I'll, t- I'll take the blame on this one. No, it's okay. <laughs> it's my fault. <laughs> no, well, I'll look, I'll look it up. We'll, we'll figure it out. You see, I still have a lot to learn. Uh, so I guess that's year two, right? Figuring yeah. out if this was Friday the 13th or not. Yeah, the little <laughs> things. Well, not and talking to other people, you know, because then you, yeah. you figure out, like, oh, I didn't, you know, like, something that you kind of miss because you're, you know, you're, like, in the, I guess, the meat and potatoes of it, right? Like, the, the main story. Right. And then you got, like, someone's wandering brain like mine. It was just like, <laughs> was that a Friday? You know? <laughs> so it's got, like, you know, talking to someone like me whose brain wanders, like, I think it might help out a little bit. Yeah, but it is helpful because I, I was just, yeah, exactly. I was focused on, you know, reporting the other details yeah the main story yeah and figured out what all went down and then yeah got that maybe me being a <laughs> annoying maybe <laughs> no you know I mean? no like, this friday? is good it would be cool to figure out whether or not this happened on a friday and yeah kind of add to the spooky story part of it right? i was thinking yeah a little bit yeah and it, did it happen at night do you know yeah it happened at night so he was tending to the mules so like you would have to stay up at night so they had night shifts uh and that's how you would kind of care for the mules oh, right. i mean there are bears out here well especially back then yeah i mean bears mountain lions coyotes wolves, wolves. Yeah. yeah so i mean there's a lot of different predators out there yeah you lose one of your pack string and that could be a real bad day just losing oh, yeah. one animal you know and let alone a couple even get injured you know then they can't carry the weight anymore and exactly yeah, it could be real bad it, it could be very bad yeah so he's up tending the animals then huh yeah well and it could also be bad because other uh individuals who are kind of out there either you know doing the same type of um merchant trail or you know their own pack stream i mean they come by and they could steal your mules yeah i think yeah, i didn't think because like that's uh you know like the old westerns always talk about the cattle wrestlers mm-hmm. right the cattle wrestling days yeah so yeah definitely that's probably alive and well at that period in time i imagine oh yeah it definitely was i mean you had to he had to stay awake keep an eye on his mules i mean that's why they had the night shift but yeah. and he was you know doing stuff with mules and he just didn't Realized that the two guys were behind him, and oh, then that man. was it. Brutal. And they could have, I mean, they, uh, I mean, it could happen in a number of different ways, but it's like thinking like, you were like, hey, what's going on? You know, just like walking up like casual, and then, you know, he wouldn't suspect anything. Well, I don't or, think or he thought, I don't even think he knew they were behind there. him. I think oh. they just kind of snuck up. I mean, he's busy. He's like trying to get stuff for the mules, he's setting things up. You know, it, it's yeah. camp. Like, he's getting prepared, he's smoking a pipe. 
Oh, yeah. I oh, think no, he was lighting his pipe when they kind of walked up and. Oh, they got him. Yeah, they axed him. Man, yeah, because he could have been check. I mean, even checking their hooves, you know, their feet after a long right. trek like that. Man. And then, and then, yeah, did they find his pipe? Maybe. Maybe. I don't <laughs> know. Is that more that later on? Oh, yeah. I'll, yeah, I don't want to jump ahead. No, it's okay. <laughs> um. So, uh, they've killed five people at this point. So they wrap up the bodies and they kind of uh, roll them off the cliff into the little Clearwater Canyon. Their idea is that nobody's going to find these people and know what we've done. It's a very terrible, horrible thing. Yeah. Trying to hide the evidence. Yeah. So they choose the best of Magruder's stock, uh, and then they lead the rest of the stock um, to a clearing off the trail, and they kill them. So now they've killed five people, and then they've killed a fair amount of the mules. That doesn't seem like a... I mean, I guess you'd probably have trouble managing them with that many people. Geez, like, mules are worth money, and... I know. What they do, you know what I'm saying? They were just there. (laughs) Exactly, but... it would have probably been difficult for them to escape with all of those mules. Yeah. And they didn't have any of the equipment. Just had his money. Yeah, totally. And they probably speed, you know, trying to gather mm-hmm. quickly, like you were saying. So extra animals would slow them down. Yeah. And then probably they're thinking if someone found right. a wandering. Right, they saw yeah. 60 string mule string, they'd probably be a little suspicious. Yeah, totally. Or, yeah, even if they set them loose to, like, roam free, they'd hang out in a herd, and they'd be like, why is there just, like, a random herd of mules out here, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and they would have, like, had uh, hallmarks of Magruder's, like, uh, saddles, Brand stuff like or that. Maybe yeah. Too, yeah. That's true. So if someone did find them wandering about, brought them back to Lewiston, they could probably be easily identified. Yeah, true. So, I mean, who knows, but there's various number of reasons why they decided... Take out the... Take out the rest of the pack. Man. You said they led them to... Where they off the trail. Oh, off the so, trail. So, uh, they ended up following... Because, I mean, they're a pack string, so they're used to following the mule in front of them. Mm. They don't understand what's happened, really. Yeah. So... Unaware, just doing what they're supposed to do, doing their job. Yeah, and they led them off the trail because, I mean, you can't kill mules on the trail. It's a lot of uh, mule carcasses to kind of clean up. Yeah, there's no way you can move them. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so then um, they're they're not planning to return to Liston, but weather conditions kind of force them to detour through town. So... Uh, They're purchasing stage tickets to go to Walla Walla. And the murderers are actually recognized by Hilbichi, Magruder's friend. So, I mean, these are guys that are known around town as not being super great. I mean, they're bad guys. Yeah. And then, you know, they're looking at the saddles. They're kind of like, how'd you... That looks kind of like Magruder's saddle. I mean, that guy looks like his mule, you know? Yeah. They kind of put two and two together and kind of figure out something bad has happened oh so uh within a few days beachy somehow gets himself appointed as a deputy sheriff and he takes out warrants on the murderers 
but he's too late because uh, they've already left for Walla Walla. And when he gets to Walla Walla, he finds out that they've actually um, bought tickets to go to San Francisco. Oh, so they're going far away. They're going to the big city. They're going to disappear. Yeah. So Beachy, uh, he ends up telegraphing descriptions of the murderers to the San Francisco uh, law enforcement. Uh, and they are able to arrest them, surprisingly, because his descriptions are so detailed. And Dang. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty impressive. Really impressive, because I was thinking like it, man, if I was trying to get someone to like pick up my best friend out of a crowd, I'd, <laughs> and I was the one describing, I, I don't know if I could do a good job. I'd probably get there and be someone totally different than what my friend looks like to me. <laughs> It'd be the same for me. <laughs> yeah, like that's really impressive. Yeah, man. I mean, he was skilled. Yeah, man. And they actually arrest the murderers at the U.S. Mint. <laughs> so they've deposited the money that they've taken from Magruder. Oh, dang. Yeah. And then the killers are brought back to Lewiston. And they probably have the evidence there too, right? Because they're like, that's a lot of money all of a sudden. And they're like... Yeah. Yeah. So mm. catch them kind of red-handed almost like... Yeah. I mean, they do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so when they're brought back to Lewiston, uh, the killers are put on trial. Uh, there's actually a lynch mob there, but Beachy is like, no, guys, like, we've got to have a fair trial. Like, we've got to do the whole process. Yeah. Uh, and Paige is the one, uh, the guy who's left alive, is the quote-unquote guide. Uh, and he relays all of the gruesome details of the death of Magruder mm. and the other four individuals who were murdered that evening. Uh, and he actually leads the authorities to the crime scene. So, obviously, the, the bodies aren't at the crime scene, but they recover them. So, they're able to uh, return the remains of Magruder and the other four individuals, and they're buried in Lewiston. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. I guess I always kind of assumed they were just buried on site because they're so far away. Oh, that's No, they bring them back to Lewiston for a proper burial. Oh, that was really nice. Yeah. Right. Paige kind of came through in that point, I guess. Maybe. Oh, <laughs> more to it. I... But the other three, so the three murderers, uh, were actually hung. And this is the first uh, hanging execution in the state of Idaho. Oh, wow. Yeah. This this story's full of, like, rich history. I did not know this. (laughs) It is. Man, I went from thinking one guy got killed to, you know, this. Oh, it was crazy. Yeah. Uh, And so Beachy only recovers $17,000 of Magruder's original $30,000. Uh, and he gives that to the widow, Magruder's widow, and his uh, surviving children. Oh, wow. That's Beachy's a really nice guy. Yeah. He's really kind. Yeah. He's, like, surprisingly ends up moving to Elko, Nevada. Oh. And he ends up dying there. But Beautiful. He lived a crazy Elko. life, too. Yeah. That is, yeah. What a, what a great guy. I mean. Yeah. Must have been he was a good friend, I yeah, think. Yeah, I was going to say, like, yeah. the best friend ever, you know? Right? I mean, you can't really ask for much more. No. I mean himself deputized to go find your killers and bring them yeah. to justice you know what i mean and he gets not all the money but you know a little more than half yeah totally and that's yeah seventeen thousand. nothing to sniff at you know yeah totally yeah especially back then i mean that's probably hopefully enough to set her up for the rest of her days if she's smart with yeah her, you know? yeah i mean it would be helpful i'm sure for her and then i mean she's lost her husband so she's lost kind of her way to make money yeah yeah, especially in those days. I mean, not a lot of options for a female, I imagine. No, they, the options are pretty limited. Uh, but in the West, not as limited as, as they would have been out in the East. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Wait, wait, which one's more limited? The East or? Uh, the East, I'd say probably. Oh, yeah, more the, yeah, I could see that kind of more the society kind of yeah, role. Yeah, yeah. I guess you could say the quote-unquote civilized. Yeah. Yeah, because this is the Wild West. True. So. And all hands on deck probably when it comes to <laughs> yeah. any, any work that needs to get done, you know? Yeah. Able bodies. Very much so. Yeah, makes sense. It helps with equality there, you know, if you just need yeah. every, every able body, you know? yeah. Well, and the killers ended up spending a little less than half gambling in San Francisco. Oh, that's what, a little less than half, huh? Yeah. Oh, so that's where the 13,000 went? Yeah. Oh, or so, I guess. Damn. Yeah, about, so, I mean, just gambling. That's a I lot. I can't believe. That's yeah. That's a ton of money. They must be really bad at it. That's a they ton are of money. really bad. Yeah. I mean, they're really bad Humans. in general, yeah. but <laughs> obviously, uh, they didn't have a great success in San Francisco at the tables, so. Yeah, horrible gamblers, it sounds like. Really terrible. Yeah. But what's actually really interesting is that uh, one of the three murderers who are hung actually accused Paige, this uh, supposed guide of being kind of the mastermind behind the murders. Oh. He's kind of the one who, you know, started it. Oh. And Paige is like, no, no, I was a guide. Yeah. I had nothing to do with this. Oh. But he ends up actually dying a little over a year later uh, in a brothel. He's shot. Mm. So, I don't know. Sound, he sounds a little suspicious as well. I, That's what I was going to say. Like, uh, if he's an upstanding guy, probably wouldn't have been murdered in a brothel, you know? Yeah. But oh. well, I don't know. I mean, wrong, wrong time, wrong place. Could have been, so yeah. Maybe he just was in the middle of something he wasn't supposed to be in the middle of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe just walking out on the street. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. Got him or walking in or something. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. That'd be tough, cause especially because, you know, like, uh, you wouldn't have a chance to explain yourself if that's how you went out, you know? No, no, that's it. Yeah, but it does make it seem a little it, sketchy. Right? It, it's yeah. a little questionable. Questionable, that's the best word. Yeah. yeah. But For sure. the accounts vary is what we'll say. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Well, that's what makes it cool at mystery, though, right? It's like yeah. you don't know 100% of anything, right? We, from, I mean, guess from what you're telling me, like, we know all these details based on what Paige was saying, so, and and what Beachy found, so. Right. It's most of the puzzle, but not everything, which kind of is interesting. It's cool because it leaves your, your brain a little time to wander around on it and yeah, you maybe you think, think about different angles. Yeah, and when they actually uh, committed the murders, they ended up burning the crime scene oh. to try and get rid of the evidence. Oh, yeah, probably like any of the blood or anything that was probably yeah. there and stuff. Yeah. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Dang. Uh, and, you know, Magruder's story doesn't end there. Uh, oh. So in 1992, there was a private detective, uh, and he had an interest in the Magruder massacre. Uh, and so he began investigating. So he traveled to the remote wilderness to kind of identify where Magruder had been killed. Uh, kind of not long after the murders, not right after, but not long after, um, some Forest Service employees had actually erected a sign on a tree. Oh. Uh, and they'd actually found an original sign that was placed up in around 1864, 1865. Oh, wow. By, um, probably Beachy or someone else from the Lewiston community or someone from the Bitterroot and, you know, heard about Magruder and known what had happened, where the massacre had occurred. So the sign was replaced again in the 50s and then again in the 60s. So 
the people knew where the massacre site was wasn't a big secret. Yeah. Um, but then this guy just got curious in, in yeah, 1992. I mean, it's natural, and he was just excited, I think, to kind of maybe solve what he thought was a mystery almost. Yeah. Yeah. I get it because, like, right now I'm thinking, like, maybe I should walk out there. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, well, you'll myself. see, right? Yeah. Well, but he ends up using a metal detector. Um, yeah. And the private detective and his friend uh, located metal and they started digging. Uh, they unearthed several artifacts, including a harness buckle, two harness tacks, uh, metal surveyor tripod pieces, some square nails, and then two supposed lead balls. Uh, approximately 0.33 caliber lead balls. Uh, Two months after the find, uh, so once they have these artifacts, they're actually featured in a local newspaper article. Oh, really? Yeah, and two months after the article was published, uh, Milo McLeod, uh, uh, he was kind of the father of the heritage program for the Bitterroot and Lolo National Forest. Oh, yeah. so he discovered this news article, and he discovered that the private detective had illegally excavated and removed the artifacts from lands administered by the Bitterroot National Forest. Yeah, not supposed to do that. No, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot illegal. That's what I was thinking, like just going out there, not telling anybody, not getting any kind of permit, mm-hmm. and just start digging. Well, he had talked to a volunteer who was working out at the Magruder Ranger Station, and unfortunately the volunteer did not know uh, that excavating federal lands without a permit is illegal. Uh, So he wasn't prosecuted, but um, the artifacts... So, like, while the artifacts were all returned to the Bitterroot, like once you excavate a site and remove an artifact from its primary context, you've destroyed the site. And our ability as archaeologists to gather priceless information. Yeah, totally. And in the case of a burial site or a massacre site, you're also kind of disturbing that area. And for different uh, descendants, I mean, that is really disrespectful. And that could really uh, upset someone. Yeah, absolutely. And it is illegal to damage or excavate and or remove archaeological resources from federally administered lands without a permit. So this is all protected under the Archaeological Resources Protection Act, which was passed in 1979. So anyone who violates this law and is convicted may be fined up to $10,000 or imprisoned for one year, or you'd be fined and imprisoned. Everyone out there listening, be careful with your metal detectors yeah. and your shovels. Yes. <laughs> you know, get some permission. <laughs> you know, talk to some folks. And Apply for an uh, ARPA permit is what they're called. Uh, that's for uh, archaeologists who are looking to do excavations uh, for research oh, cool. purposes. Uh, you know, you apply for one of those. Uh, you apply for those to access collections if you're interested in doing some research. Currently, uh, the Magruder Massacre artifacts are housed in the Bitterroot National Forest Creation Facility. So, yeah. That's cool. Um, Yeah, I guess I want to touch on what you're saying about, um, you know, someone just going out and digging illegally. Right. You know, might have been good good intentions, you know, just trying to, you know, put some... um, you know, some curiosities that, that that person had to rest and right. totally understand. But like you're saying, like, if you disturb that site, 
like you're saying where the balls are and where the the buckle is and all these other artifacts can tell a story and then when you pull them up even if you're like well i think they were there like it's still not exact you know and everyone knows how their own memory works human the human memory is definitely flawed you know so it's hard to recreate that even if you have a, a really good memory you know it is and if you remove the artifacts from their primary context and when we lose kind of a lot of information so depending on how far you've dug i mean you've disturbed the entire sedimentary complex so i mean now you could possibly uh distribute artifacts that were not in that particular sediment layer so now our ability and this is kind of a lot of what we see um, when people loot pre-contact sites and we have uh, projectile points or they're very frequently referred to in popular cultures arrowheads Uh, we can use different types of projectile points to kind of date a site and use it uh, to create kind of a chronology but if you remove those artifacts and from that sedimentary layer I mean we can no longer identify kind of when these artifacts were made sometimes based on their design we can get an idea from chronologies that have been developed but I mean you're taking away our ability to kind of get more information yeah and be more accurate that's for sure and like you're saying kind of how deep it is in the soil is how old it could be right like a little deeper and yeah right yeah because um we had talked about this before about how like and, uh, you know, I just, if I found something, it, it'd be, after talking to you and, and then um, uh, my friend James, who was on uh, just a couple of weeks ago at Sula Peak, he's an archaeologist um, yeah. in Idaho there. And me and you talked about, like, after I talked to him, and, you know, if I found something, Man Gulch Fire is a popular one that I've been to a few times, you know, from the um, death of all the smoke jumpers, you know, who got killed by that fire. And, um, you know, you're not really, like, for me at least, I'm not really, like, looking for something, but if I just happen to find something, like, if I wasn't, if I didn't have these conversations with you and James, I'd have been, like, you know, say it was, like, a smoke trooper belt buckle from, you know, someone who died in, in uh, Man Gulch, I'd be like, oh, wow, and I'd just, like, grab it real quick and be like, check it out more, you know, but now that I know better, I'd be like, all right, I'm going to mark this spot with my GPS, and then I'm going to go grab someone like you or James yeah. or somebody and be like, hey, check it out, this is what I found, you know, and, and uh, you know, report it before disturbing it, you know. Well, and that's why I think it's so important for archaeologists and other cultural resource professionals to do a lot more public outreach because ARPA only applies, and ARPA is the acronym we call the Archaeological Resource Protection Act, uh, if you are knowingly disturbing a site. So, I mean, the private detective didn't realize, I mean, this was an archaeological site, and he was looting, and he didn't know. Yeah. And he, you know, luckily gave back the artifacts. And while we did lose the context, we did at least recover those materials. But yeah, have you have you seen those? I have. Is yeah. it cool? They're very cool. Yeah, man. Well, I don't think they're lead balls, though. I don't think that's what they found. We did test them uh, back in January. It was not kind of the preliminary results we got, but we'll have to do further testing. Oh, that's interesting. See, yeah. this, this stuff is so interesting, especially because it's <laughs> like the the story doesn't end, right? Like, it, no, it never ends. Yeah, the story keeps going. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and I think you know, I, you hear it a lot these days, but like having that important, like never, never just like finish a story, especially like something in history. Like you never know what you might find that might change how you look at something. You know, like right. something really small to sight. I imagine you'd be like, oh. All right, you know, like that changes the story altogether. Like whatever it yeah. might be, like a tool or I don't, I guess like a dinosaur, or like a you know different kind of skeleton or something. I don't know. Like it's out of my realm of 
how my brain works, but you know, like, <laughs> I imagine just little things could change the whole story. So it's it's you important can. to keep an open mind, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. It is. And we see that a lot with historic dump sites. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we found quite a few so far on the forest. We've had some really large ones, some that um, have some really amazing, very interesting information. Like you mean dump sites as in like... like historic trash. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then when we talk about this, people are kind of like, oh, like it's just trash. Like I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to pick up this can. I'm going to pick up this tin. Like, oh, yeah. This is terrible why would people just like leave this stuff on the ground well it's an artifact if it's over 50 years old so please leave it in situ don't pick up the cans yeah Uh, and sometimes when we find these dump sites uh, we can find things like opium tents which will tell us stories of in the history of this region um in terms of the history of the Asian American community oh, yeah. where their stories may not be reflected in all historical records and it can give us a better idea of the history of this valley an all-inclusive history. Yeah that makes a lot of sense because I imagine even like today if you're writing a history it's kind of who's in your uh, social circle is kind of right. who you more put into your story instead of the big picture of like some folks that like maybe in different socioeconomic status or just don't do the same things you're doing. So you don't really interact with them. So like they, they might not be included in the story and they're, they have their own story going on, but it's not involved in yours. So they don't really get as much mention in history. I imagine that, right. you know, like yeah. it's like you're writing a book, I guess nowadays, you know? Well, and for historians, I mean, we have even archeologists I mean, we have a certain amount of bias oh, yeah. when we're, you know, writing these reports and looking at everything. So that's an important factor that we do kind of try to talk about and acknowledge. Yeah. So definitely good to have a bunch like we we're talking just like these conversations and yeah and talking with your peers you know and on different things because yeah otherwise yeah, that bias it creeps up on all of us i mean you could have the most open yeah. mind and like next thing you know it you know you're overlooking something or interjecting your own bias into it and so it's so good to have right. like a, a third party of being like yeah. wait what are you talking about and you're like this and they're like i don't i don't know if i agree with that and they'd be like and then it gives you a chance to pause and be like Oh, yeah, maybe. Maybe you're right. Yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about on that one. You know, but you never know until someone yeah. someone catches it. Because if you don't catch it, you you probably won't. At least I won't, you know, if it was me, you know. Well, and it's the same for us, too. And yeah. We're writing the documents. <laughs> yeah. Because I've had a little experience in, like, everything for me kind of more relates to fire. Just because I've done it for so long. But uh, usually, even we do AARs, you know, after action reviews. And uh, so, and I was going with the most open mind I can to be like, cause, you know, always trying to improve and do, do the process better, even if you've done it a ton. And I've, I've, I see quite a bit, of, quite a few fires now in my career. Cause I've been doing it for a long time and still like an AER, I take them all serious. Cause I'm like, yeah. all right, you know, like what, uh, or yeah, cause you never, you could, you could end up like developing something like a blind spot that you didn't right. have before, you know, but if you keep doing something a lot, then that blind spot could grow, you know? And so like, for me, I'm always like trying to be aware of, if that's creeping up on me, you know, and in anything, yeah. you know, I'm not in fire anymore, but whatever I might be doing, you know, in the future, like this podcast, uh, I've catch myself saying like a lot and that's been bothering <laughs> me. So when I'm editing, I'm like, Oh, so I'm trying to stop doing that and slow down my talk. It's just little things like, you know, and every yeah. day. So I mean, kind of like with you guys and, and doing the research you guys are doing and, um, just, you know, probably all your everyday things really in archeology, span I imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's important. Yeah. And then are you going to go on fires then? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I do have a red card. Um, 
and I did kind of some uh, resource advisor training uh, at a, on one of the fires this past summer here on the Bitterroot. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so for archaeology, it's a little different. Uh, we can be resource advisors. We can be resource fireline advisors. And then we can be fire archaeologists. Uh, but we're the only qualified professionals, the 0193 series, that can be fire archaeologists. Oh, wow. Yeah. Know. Hey, cool. Yeah. So other... Um, Resources like biologists or hydrologists uh, can also be resource advisors. And the ones we have on the forest here in the Bitterroot do a fantastic job, but they can't necessarily do fire archaeology. So it's been really an important push uh, since I've come on for us to kind of start to get our red cards and get kind of geared up into everything. Yeah, I can see that for sure. On uh, East Montana, Eastern Montana, uh, fires have been on where they found like dinosaur bones and you yeah. know, a lot of historic things out in there like wagon wheels and like really cool things and uh but when i was first in fire i was so focused on my fire career and stuff like i'd, I'd bump into like we call knowledgeist and i'm just like hey what'd you find and they like kind of go into a little bit and i'm like oh it's really cool and then you know i'd have to go do whatever fire uh, thing i was doing at the time you know a crew boss or squad boss or just run the saw so uh, like I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And then I just keep move, moving. And then I forget about what I was just told. And it's like, dang, I wish I could remember that now. Because we, uh, when I was on one fire, we, we came across this dinosaur bone. And it was huge. It was so cool. Oh, then, wow. Yeah, and there's all these little, like, round balls at the bottom of it. And it's near Roundup, Montana. And uh, we, uh, one of my friends had a few pictures of them and brought them to, I want to say Bozeman. Because they have, um, at uh, MSU, they have... I think they have a pretty robust uh, paleontological program. Yeah, that's where I was looking for, but I didn't know it, so I was like... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a lot of times, the big question we get, especially when we go to the elementary schools and we do public outreach, is uh, do you you study dinosaurs? Yeah. Archaeologists, um, we don't. (laughs) We mostly uh, study um, kind of uh, human cultures. Oh, gotcha. Um, Kind of more from the past, but... uh, a lot of these cultures are, you know, the precursor, uh, and they have descendants today. So we try to keep this in mind that uh, these cultures are very much alive. These people are very much alive. Uh, yeah. So we're serving these communities. I guess would be a better way to phrase it. No, and that's yeah, that's uh, that's a really good way to phrase it too. Because um, I think I was talking to you about the podcast Outlandish, and it's uh, so for folks who are interested in this, I think I mentioned this before on the podcast, but it's out hyphen land hyphen ish i think is how it goes and uh it's one of the the podcast host recommended it to me and she the episode she recommended was what you might find in glaciers or something along those lines and it's really cool i think we talked about that where yeah. um these fellows were on a, a sheep hunt and they found part of a um indigenous person in this glacier and then years later they go back and i don't want to ruin the story but um so i'm gonna stop myself but uh, it's a really good episode. But they're yeah, they were talking about like me and you talked about the importance of them not disturbing the site, and then um, you know finding out what uh, indigenous group was in that area, and then returning that person and giving the proper send off, you know, to the afterlife, which is super cool and powerful and important. And and yeah. you know your job could be you know part of that too. You know, depending on what you find, right? Uh, yeah, so for archaeologists that are working in kind of the federal system, uh, you are responsible for uh, compliance actions under the law. Uh, so 
One of the federal, federal historic preservation laws we operate under is the Native American Graves Protection Repatriation Act of 1990. Oh, wow, it's kind uh, of recent. Yeah, it, it's really recent, um, but uh, there's two parts to this law. Um, so if we come across uh, human remains uh, that we believe to be uh, indigenous remains in, during a project undertaking, uh, we stop the project and we begin the repatriation process, uh, working with uh, the communities, the tribal communities, uh, the descendant communities. Uh, the other portion of the law is repatriating human remains that have been collected in the past. Uh, so archaeologists back in the 20s and the 30s, it's a very different time. We, and this particular uh, focus uh, wasn't necessarily, uh, it was more museum-based, like what can we get from the ground to compete with what they're finding in Egypt and in Europe and, oh, and to kind of like compete with the cool factor and, you know, we're cool too. We've got all this history. Yeah, because mummies, you know. Right. But I mean, that's not the right way to go about it. Uh, so now we do have a back, not here on the Bitterroot, on the Bitterroot, uh, all of everything has been repatriated. We're in complete compliance with NAGPRA. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, which is fabulous. It's, but yeah, unfortunately, that's not, you know, the case on every on every unit, on every agency. Uh, and it's an unfunded, unfunded mandate, uh, but there are grant opportunities. Oh, uh, yeah. So definitely apply for those <laughs> yeah. if you find yourself in that position. Um, but it is really important. Yeah, definitely. Uh, if you do come across human remains, uh, to leave them in situ and to notify uh, the local authorities. Uh, if you're on Park Service lands, call the Park Service. If you're on Forest lands, call the Forest Service. Get in touch with uh, whoever is responsible and they'll get it to the right people. Yeah, totally. Because it, it, in my eyes, it seems, uh, at least for you know, part of the importance for me is, um, I think also because... Uh, Somehow my great-grandparents got separated, or great-grandma got separated from the Nez Perce tribe, so I don't know exactly how we, where we got disconnected. So I don't know my history too much, my descendants that much. So uh, I look at it through those eyes, I guess, and like you're talking about like finding something or having something that the tribe maybe doesn't even know about because it got found or whatever. Right. And, and so um, either got found recent in recent times or in the past, and then bringing it back to the tribe and kind of maybe... Um, you know, connect some dots like, oh, wow, that was, you know, one of our people, ancestors were in this area, huh? You know, like we, you know, they, maybe they heard rumor that like, like the Nez Perce tribe had, had gone, you know, all the way out to wherever, but, you know, didn't maybe have the proof. And then if you found some human remains in, I don't know, southern Idaho or something, I don't know, like it's a bad example, but, you know, something to yeah. help connect dots that maybe was more um, just a rumor of, of how the tribe interacted or where they traveled or you know all those kind of things right and also i mean a lot of tribes were removed to reservations and removed from their traditional homelands yeah. so these burial sites they very much might know where they are and you know they don't want to share because you know back in the 20s and 30s people were digging up their ancestors sticking them in a glass case and being like look oh wow that'd be so weird it, it's really um yeah, it's strange and uh, it can be difficult. And I'm sure, you know, for descendants, it's a horrible, horrible thought and experience. And it's very emotional. Yeah. When you go through that repatriation process. And yeah. And we're all, you know, I think, 
you know, be traced back human existence long enough. We yeah. all tribal folks, you know, we all come from some tribe and maybe the same tribe way back, you know, and uh, so there's all those ceremonies. So I think anyone who kind of like understand, like hears it, like, oh, you know, like at, at first you'd be like, oh, I don't know. I mean, it's historic and it's kind of nice that everyone can like see display, but then you're like, oh, yeah, wait a minute, that was a ceremony for that person yeah. you know and they yeah, got put to person. rest <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. yeah someone's someone's mother grandmother you yeah. know child whatever you know so it, yeah having a little bit more of the human factor and you know putting your heart into it a little bit more instead of just yeah something cool to look at putting the humanity back in the humanities yeah i'm on a roll today you are yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. you're nailing it that's awesome i was gonna ask how, so i mean it's you seem like you're doing like you're natural at this like no. for a podcast right <laughs> No, I'm not natural at this, but that's okay. Yeah, no, you're doing really <laughs> you're good. Learning. So. Yeah. Well, what I found too is like with most folks, I mean, we're about how long do you think we're in right now? Wait, don't check your hour. Uh, <laughs> so how long do you think we're in? I guess you check. Probably an hour. Oh, no, yeah, we're about a little over an yeah. hour. Because yeah, most people like uh, about a half hour, you know, usually flies by. But at about a half hour in, people kind of get settled into it because it's you know it's a lot of, like talking to no mic, hearing yeah. headphones and the camera, and um, but yeah, I mean, you seem to settle right into it. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're doing great. So I, I appreciate you being on. Well, thanks. Um, I appreciate the invite, and thank you for letting me talk your ear off about heritage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I wasn't gonna kick you out the door yet, unless you got to be somewhere. You got to be somewhere. I yeah. know. Uh, I've got time. All right, because uh, yeah, a little more I want to talk about too. Because yeah. you'd mentioned something about Rambo. Do you have any information on that? Or I, I, I need to do some more research oh, yeah. on Rambo. So I mean, this is a good example, though. I mean, we do have some historic records, and it's very one-sided. Uh, kind of what occurred at Rambo in that particular murder. Uh, so I do want to do some more research to make sure that I've got the whole story yeah. and I'm not just, you know, spreading uh, what was being spread in newspapers in 1909. Oh, wow. 1909. Holy yeah. Was that when it occurred? Uh, no, it was earlier, but that's one of the newspaper uh, articles we have on it. It's about that date. So. Wow. Yeah, that's an old one, too. Then, hey. But that is why uh, Rumble Mountain is named Rumble Mountain. Oh, it's from the murder, hey? Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I was talking to um, uh, Kevin Nyhart about it a little bit, and I uh, guess his wife grew up on the ranch. And so, oh, wow. Yeah, she was. There was a grave site that she had been looking for and was never able to really find it because I guess. One of the owners of the ranch way back when had was tired of visitors or something, so she uh, removed the the cross or headstone or whatever might have been the marker, and yeah, uh, yeah so make it a little more difficult on folks. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I we do have like locations for some stuff, not on okay. private land, and I think that would be on the private land. So we probably don't have that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So yeah, it might be a different story. And, yeah. Man, that's, that's what's yeah, that's what's crazy about history too. That might like, be next year's Halloween podcast. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, yeah. And then, well, talking to Jake, there's like a few yeah. dis- disappearances that he was telling me about. He's like, yeah. So yeah, we were talking about going to the sheriff's office, and so like I said the, for the next podcast, and and even if it's after Halloween, it's still kind of it's just interesting. So we'll have yeah. to get together on that one too. Yeah, that would be great. And yeah. I think it is really important, like when you're going out and enjoying you know, the forest and recreating, um, to be responsible and, you know, be safe. I mean, yeah. unfortunately things do happen and some of this forest is really remote. It's really difficult to get to. I mean, we have, uh, the Selway Bitterroot Wilderness and the parts of the Frank Church River of No Return Wilderness. I mean, yeah, name says it all over there. Right. River no, no Return. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, be really careful when you're recreating and be responsible and 
yeah, you no, know, we're, we're, check in with people. Um, I don't know what happened to the individuals who went missing. I'm sure something very terrible happened. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, yeah, they wouldn't just, you know, wander yeah. off on their own. Especially because of the past. And one of the stories is, like, a gal was a cook who disappeared and knew the area, like, better than anyone. Yeah. And um, never did find any sign of her. So no clue on what happened to her. And, I mean, any... And typically, just in my experience, any animal attack, there's going to be a sign, you know, yeah. a struggle, something, you know, because an animal doesn't really care if it leaves your shoe behind, you well, know. No, and, and sometimes, like, you're, I mean, we're predators, and we're going into a forested area that oftentimes is very thick with vegetation. Yeah. So even with, like, grizzly bears and black bears, I mean, we're encroaching kind of on their territory, too, and we don't have the same sense of smell as they do, and I, they don't realize that. Yeah. So when you come across these animals, I mean, they think you, you've, you know, purposely gone into this area to, like, get their food or take their cubs. And, yeah. yeah, I mean, you're taking their spot. They're like, what mm-hmm. are you doing here? Like, this is my turf. Yeah. So. Absolutely. And that actually crossed, that has crossed my mind a few times, uh, especially being on fires. There's a fire jumped in Idaho, um, kind of near Avery, Idaho, I think a little north. And uh, talking to the DO, he's like, How's it look up there? I was like, oh, it's not too bad. And we we're starting to get get a uh, get a good handle on things and getting the fire wrapped. And yeah. he's like, oh, good, because I'm a little worried about that country. And I was like, oh yeah. And he's like, yeah, it hasn't seen fire since 1910. So I was like, oh, I was like, oh man, all right. So that was a it's a pretty yeah. heavy fuel. And where we we're at was uh, kind of exposed and a little more hot. So like the vegetation hadn't grown up as much. But where we had to hike out was more of a, a wetter area of the forest and. Uh, low, uh, kind of more low elevation. Uh, man, your words are coming together. My words are falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I had to, basically I had like these game trails that I was uh, like army crawling to get out of, and yeah. it was like like a thicket, like super thick. And I had my hard hat off, so one I could see, and it's loud if things are hitting you in the head. So I just had a fiber tape to my pack, and uh, I heard it get ripped off my pack. And I turned around, and it was gone. So, like, I took my pack off, left it on the trail so I could find my pack again, and, like, went around on my hands and knees looking for it, and I never did find my hard hat. That's how thick Jeez. this country was. Yeah, It's still up there somewhere. <laughs> so, never did find the hard hat, and I was like, all right. So, I put my pack back on, and I could kind of smell, like, a wallow, and um, we'd heard that there was, or we'd, we'd seen a, a younger bear that was hanging around, kind of just checking on us while we are fighting the fire. Yeah. And, uh, but along those lines, is like, you know, I'm breathing heavy because I'm, you know, struggling to get through yeah. this, you know. I mean, it's thick vegetation. Yeah. I mean, this is dense stuff. Yeah, totally. And I've been on fire for a few days and sweating, you know, yeah. so I'm probably got a pretty good smell going, pretty ripe, you know. <laughs> so it's like, you know, and like I said, bears got a crazy, crazy good sense of smell, yeah. you know, and uh, and then their hearing's great and I'm just mouth breathing my way out of these <laughs> thick areas. So that. Like, there's not too many times on fire where I was a little concerned about a bear, but on that one, I was like, man, I have my easy target here, <laughs> you know? For us, I mean, we're serving in these extremely thick and dense vegetated areas, oh, yeah. so we've come across quite a few, especially last field season. Oh, jeez. Just black bears so far, so fingers crossed there. <laughs> yeah, holy cow. But the news yeah. keeps saying that the uh, grizzly bear population's growing, so right. kind of be aware right. there. Yeah, I mean... Be bear aware. Yeah, absolutely. That, yeah, that's, that's a good public service message, too, just about yeah. being safe in the woods and having a plan, um, having supplies, uh, communication, like you were kind of hinting at earlier about, you know, you go anywhere 
in those areas like the um you know Bitterroot, the Selway, um Frank Church, all these wilderness areas, anything in the West Fork. Um you're out there on like an island, the Magruder Corridor. Yeah, you know. there's no cell service. No cell phone service, yeah. For the most exactly. part, no. Yeah. I mean, if you have Verizon, sometimes you can pick up a spot. But, I mean, once you hit that Magruder Corridor, I mean, no service. Yeah, just on their side of Pass, yeah, yeah, it's gone. Yeah, I mean, we use... Um, InReach. InReach devices, yeah. yeah. Well, we should. <laughs> yeah. I know I don't carry, I don't carry one in, in my personal. And... You know, we're jumping fires. We typically have a satellite phone if we're going to be right. in somewhere. There's not and radios, so it makes it easy. But yeah. Well, I mean, the radios don't always work out in the wilderness because you have a very limited amount of kind of receivers that you're trying to hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it can be touch and go. I mean, we had that experience when we were out in the Magruder Quarter, and we weren't even out in the wilderness. We we're just driving. So. Yeah. Oh, really? And yeah. yeah. And if you're and you're using the truck radio. Yeah. So it's got a little par- more powerful signal than like a handheld if you're hiking, and then, yeah, yeah. that's and that's why I've been kind of petitioning. Part of the podcast is like for uh, to keep lookouts, and no one's really trying to get rid of them, but I just like want to yeah. kind of make sure they stick around because a huge part of that is I've been on fires where you couldn't hit a repeater, like you said, no. so the radio's worthless. But I was <laughs> able to hit a lookout, and the lookout was able to relay everything from the DO or the deputy. Or um, duty officer. So right. the duty officer is the one who's in charge, making all decisions about what they want to do with fire, and, and then they relay it to me, and then I make it happen. You know, as as the incident commander. So maybe relaying duty officer's uh, direction with what, the fire, and then relaying back the progress from what I was saying, and then weather as well, and and just like, right. having her back on that. So um, definitely important to have lookouts. So it a is a few of those dead spots probably used to have lookouts. So that's unfortunate. You know, maybe. Uh, there used to be a ton of them. Oh, we used yeah. on the map, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they used to be all over the place. Same with ranger stations. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I heard, I think it was Reen was telling me that Magruder had, like, some of the best food. Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah, even, like, <laughs> when it was still going not too long ago, he said, like, if you were had to make a trip with the West Fork, uh, you planned your lunch around being at the Magruder ranger station. Oh, yeah, you did. Yeah, because the cook is amazing. I've seen photos. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, I mean, they've got an elaborate spread in some of these historic photos. And oh, it's so cool. looks amazing. Yeah. I look at it, and then usually we look at these photos on what we call Fast Food Fridays, and oh, we yeah. go to, like, A&W or something yeah. <laughs> as a crew <laughs> for lunch. Oh, hey, bonding, though. Yeah. That's cool, though. Because I mean, we get hungry by looking at how great the spread is that they're putting out at Magruder. I mean, it's insane. Yeah, totally. And, yeah, and Reen said one of the guys he talked to went head launch, and then the cook... Uh, like dip, gave him a to-go bag because he was going to be out for the rest of the night or something. Oh, wow. So yeah, I made like a sack lunch to go, and yeah, so it was just incredible. Man, oh, I'm jealous. Me Thank too. You. Yeah, and when I went to go jump at uh, Winthrop um, North Cascade Smoke Tour Base, um, the the kitchen's still there, and we we were using it as the jumpers. And um, I guess they were saying not too long ago when they have a big fire in the area, they bring in the old uh, cooks um, that used to work it full time, oh, and wow. yeah, they cook for the big fires and stuff, and I guess that those cooks were amazing as well. Oh, I've heard good stories. Yeah, the Forest yeah. Service, yeah, they, they had it going on when it came to, the, came to that stuff. It's it's a shame that times change, just not as needed anymore, but yeah, yeah it would have been cool to experience it just, just once, you know, like for even like a week, you know? Yeah. You know, they actually used to do uh, baseball games out at Magruder in the 60s. Really? And one of the things we've really uh, been talking about doing is starting that again yeah yeah wow, that's so cool i think that would be fun like out in the horse pasture just a little baseball game yeah that'd be kind of cool yeah. maybe like split the forest in half like 
north or south baseball game or something? Oh, I think we have to, yeah. yeah <laughs> but really where cool. does the supervisor's office go? Because we're in the know. middle. Yeah, I don't know. It, Are we like the referees or does the winning district team play us? Oh, that'd be good, yeah. Yeah. Maybe like a tournament then. Yeah. Or do we go to the district teams and, you know, spread out? Yeah, if you're on the north side of the office, you go right. north. If you're on the south side, you go south. Exactly. It could be. <laughs> yeah, it depends on who's got the most talent. Trying to think. I think we might, you know, we'd be south, I guess, on our side of the office. So. Yeah, yeah. so we'd be with West Fork. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, we've got pretty good odds there. Yeah. yeah. Darby Sewell's got some pretty good athletes. Yeah. So yeah. They've got right. a good team. Yeah. Stevensville's got some pretty good athletes, too. So it'd be, yeah. I think it'd be a good match. I think it would be fun. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> really cool. Do you know what year did the Magruder, um, so it used to be a ranger station, right? Yeah, so it was the ranger station. When did it, do you know when it stopped being, like, fully functional? I... 1973 oh. is what comes to mind, but don't yeah. quote me. Well, people can look it up. Yeah, yeah I just, I, I, I was just going to want ballpark. They changed it to a workstation in the 70s, like around oh. 73. Oh, gosh, I probably yeah. got rid of the cook and everything else then. Yeah, well, I mean, at that time, they were kind of paring down on administrative structures, kind of the footprint. Um, yeah. I mean, you see it with the number of ranger stations and lookouts that we had on the forest. I mean, they significantly diminish. Even we had some that were uh, kind of like temporary lookouts, temporary ranger stations, guard stations. I mean, they were part of an era. I mean, cars yeah. didn't go that far. You were using horses, depending on the type, the time that you were kind of hanging out in the Bitterroot. Yeah, phones. So, yeah, everything was yeah. on like a hard line and. Yeah. Those were unreliable because a windstorm or something came and broke right. the wires. So. Right. I, I mean, yeah. this certain portions of this forest were much more remote than they might be now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. You needed all those lookouts and ranger stations and guard stations to kind of relay messages. But we also were kind of thinking about it the other day, too, uh, as we are finding the ruins of some of these ranger stations and these lookouts. You know, if you had a map and it was saying, oh, this is where, you know, Black Bear Ranger Station is and you're in trouble. So you go there because it's the closest one. And then there's nothing there because we were kind of finding that sometimes they would just put a ranger station on a map and maybe they didn't necessarily get to constructing it. Oh, yeah. You know, something happened and they ended up moving it from, you know, Black Bear Point to... So, yeah, wherever made more sense, probably. Right. Yeah, and, and didn't change the map. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they didn't change the map. <laughs> oh, I could see it too, because yeah, especially if you're like looking at a map and just like in a planning meeting, and you're like, yeah. All right, so here's the plan, and and that could be maybe the forest soup's plan, and then he or she retires, and then it's like that plan retires with them, right. you know, and then yeah. the next person comes in, and, and maybe they see like technology change, like you said, like better cars or whatever. So like, well, we don't need as many, so. Right. But the map, you know, it takes a while to probably to catch up. and Yeah, I mean, uh, it's caught up now, so it yeah, should be okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed, it should be fine. I've looked at it. Yeah. It's pretty accurate. Yeah, totally. Yeah, we don't have anything on the map. Uh, yeah, because, like, I was going to say, I think all the lookouts are on the maps, even the ones that are rentals. But I was mm-hmm. going to say, like, maybe some are missing. But I think they're all on there. Maybe not. They should all be on there. Yeah, Because even right. the rental ones, uh, they're kind of reserved for emergency. So if something does happen, we can pull them back in for administrative use. Oh, cool. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I was talking to Ellie just yesterday about Deer Mountain, which yeah. uh, Deer Mountain's 100 years old this year, did you know? Yeah, Isn't it's exciting. Cool? Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I mean, not the original structure, because I, I think Ellie said the one she's in right now was built in the 60s. But... The original, you know, the point of being a lookout has been in continuous service since 1923, so yeah, that's pretty cool. 
and uh, said originally was like, I want to, I wish I could have a picture because I'd like to see how you say it because I've heard it a couple different ways. I always call them cupolas. Do you say cupola or how do you would you? Say? Cupola. Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to think. Ellie and, and Reen uh, call it a different. It's spelled the same. I think like it's you know potato potato, but it's like I'm trying to think how they how they say it. But they say it a little different. So I was kind of curious to see how you might say it. But so originally it was like a cupola, and then I think it became an L four, and now it's an R six. So. Oh wow. Yeah, I think just three different iterations, but it's still it's cool to see the de- the development. Yeah, it is. And man, that is a spot. Have you been up to Deer Mountain yet? Not yet. Holy cow! Yeah, if you can make it up there this year, it'd be definitely worth it because it, it's beautiful. You can drive right to it, and yeah. it's uh, the vantage point is amazing. Like, it, you know, yeah, like I've seen it on a map, and I'm like, oh, it looks like a good spot. But then you go up there, and you can see like down to the French Basin. I mean, almost to Sula. If Sula Peak was up a little higher, you could see Sula yeah. Peak, yeah, and you could see Medicine Point. You could see Gird and Willow, and down into Hamilton and Darby, you could see all the way to Lolo. Oh wow. You can see up the West Fork, yeah, it's, and Lake Como. You right, see it's Lake a good Como. view. It's, yeah, it's an amazing view, and you're like really close to the bitter, so it's yeah. super cool. We're actually going up to Medicine Point, I think maybe next week, and also McCart. Oh, cool. So. You guys going Wednesday? Uh, we're going to McCart on Tuesday. I don't know oh. when we're going to Medicine Point yet. Sometimes oh, we have to like pick days because we have other things going on. Oh, I gotcha. Because um, we're closing in on Wednesday, so. Okay. Yeah. Wednesday might be a good day is what I'm saying. Maybe, <laughs> Cause yeah. Because yeah, then you guys, if you guys have, can uh, work on your schedule, because um, it would just be kind of cool to see it when it's open. Yeah, you know, it would be. Before we turn into a little box. Yeah. It's funny, uh, one of my friends who's uh, a lookout, we just, you know, friends on Instagram, but um, she manned a, let's see, it was like Black, Black Butte or Bear Point or something like that. Oh, whatever. Some lookout. Man, my recall is real bad tonight. That's but, good. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, sure. So she's up there at Bear Point or something to look out, and she just closed it down, and she's like, now it's just a little box on top of the hill. And it's Aww. funny because, yeah, it goes from, like, this cool little structure to this little, you know, encapsulated box yeah. protected from the weather. Oh, and I remember that one. We went up there last year. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Wait, which one? Bear Point. Bear Point? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, this one's in the Bob Marshall. It's something else. I'm getting confused with Bear Point. Oh, okay. Did, but you went to Bear Point, the one yeah. that essentially Bear picture? Cone. Bear Cone. Oh, we went to Bear Cone. Uh, and we went to Black Bear Point. Oh, um, cool. Black Bear Point is just their remains, though, at this point. Was there anything, nothing there, really? Uh, there's some uh, remainders of, like, the tent platform poles. Uh, oh, yeah. And then the towel slope. And then there's, like, a ton of historic artifacts around there. Oh, cool. And it's illegal to pick them up yes. <laughs> and so take them, do so yeah. don't do it. Yeah. Please don't do it. <laughs> and we did take a lot of photos, so we did see everything there. And if something is missing, we will know. Yeah, yeah. We'll find out. We will. Yeah. Man, that's cool. Yeah, that's why I'm getting confused because me and you were talking about, was it Black Bear Point last week? Yeah. 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 Rain had an amazing historic photo that we didn't have in our files. So. That's so cool, man. Yeah. So lucky to have Rain. Yeah. He's a great resource. He is, yeah. And his memories incredible. Like, yeah. I don't know how. I mean, I know he takes really good notes and journals and stuff, mm-hmm. but I mean, like, it's... It's really impressive. It like, is. The first podcast, I want to say, like, we went for five hours, and I don't think he even looked at his notes. <laughs> but, jeez, man, I don't know how you're... And, I mean, he's reaching back into, like, you know, his college days and high school days, and wow. we were talking about his time in Hawaii. And right. It, it was impressive. But then um, you went to Barracone as well, though? Barracone Lookout? Yeah, we did. Uh, last summer, we were working in the West Fork. Oh, cool. So. Is, is that R6, or what style is that? Do you know? Mm, I think it's an R6. I think so, too. From the picture I'm remembering, yeah. I've never been to that one. Yeah, it's not an L4. It's uh, more of like the box kind of. 
Yeah, I think it's R6. Yeah. I, I'm still like learning, so I'm just gonna you claim R6. But it's an R6. We've decided. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's R6. It's you, heard, you heard it here. Yeah. You heard it here first, people. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I like the R6. It's a little more room. I mean, L4 yeah. is kind of cool because historic, but um, man, when you like spend a little time in both of them, you really appreciate the room in the R6. I think you know. Yeah, the L4s are kind of small. They are. Yeah, they're cool because the shutters are sticking out yeah. and everything. But yeah, the R6 are just a little more people friendly. But yeah. have I have you been up to Boulder Point? No, have you? <sighs> yeah. Is it awesome? I, it's really cool, but that hike is pretty killer. That's it's really heard. steep, and right and like before we went, we had been told uh, by Milo, who I mentioned in the the Magruder story, yeah, yeah. Uh, and his wife Janine, who is an amazing. Um, kind of uh, archaeologist and historian herself. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, so they actually worked on the lookout nominations. Uh, I think Janine did under a uh, contract for the region. Oh, wow. And so they had gone up to um, Boulder Point, and we had heard that it was their least favorite lookout to visit. Oh. I mean, they're very fit, and so I was scared because I am not. <laughs> <laughs> well, you look fit. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, the kind of so at the way. end of the uh, field season, so it's easier. Yeah. No, I know, uh, like, for me, too, like, I still look like I fight fire, but if I try to fight fire right now, oh, man, I need an ambulance. <laughs> like, I'm, I definitely look like I'm in better shape than I am. Like, I played hockey the other day, and I was, I was sore for a week. And yeah. it wasn't like I was going out there and really crushing it. <laughs> you know, I was just barely <laughs> staying on my skates, so... Um, are yeah. you in like a league? Yeah, there's an okay. adult like beer league in, in Missoula. And oh, very cool. Yeah, they do uh, fall, um, winter, and spring. And the fall and spring seasons a little shorter, but it's kind of fun because a little more laid back than the winter. It's a little more competitive, and more yeah. people show up, and it's a little bigger league. And it goes like till from like November till let's see, like end of February or March, maybe. Like, it's it's really long. It's cool because you get a lot of hockey in. Yeah. Yeah. So you play hockey? Well. No, and my dad is going to disown me if he hears me ask this, but uh, do you play with specific position in hockey? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, for me, I've been kind of gravitating more towards center because center okay. is a lot of, uh, you know, it's a person who takes face-offs, and it's just, uh, in my experience, I guess, a lot of skating, so you're kind of playing offense and defense. Okay. And, right. um, yeah, so I kind of like that just because I get a really good workout in. And yeah. Then uh, um, play wing and right wing, left wing. I'm hoping I'm missing this up now, <laughs> overthinking it. But uh, those are like the four positions. Then you have your just typical defense, like left and right defense. Then your goalie. Oh, okay. So five folks on the ice all the times. Count the goalie be six. So yeah, yeah, it's it's really fun. So if you ever have interest, like the yeah. league in Missoula is really cool. And I'll have to check it out. Yeah, have you, have you skated at all? Or? A little bit. My dad's from Boston, oh. so that's why I made that comment because he's a Bruins fan. Oh yeah. Watches hockey all the time. Oh, Sometimes cool. I try to watch the games, but then I fall asleep. Yeah. Unless they're really rowdy, and then you kind of stay awake. I feel like going in person it would be more fun, like actually playing. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, and then once you start playing, you kind of start understanding it more. But if you're um, you know, especially the early season stuff, it's kind of like yeah. football. Like, it's not as exciting, but then the playoffs, like, especially in hockey, gets really intense, and yeah. it's really good watching. But, and then, like, if you start playing hockey, you'll start to be, have more interest in even, like, the slower kind of preseason games, too, or early season games. Cause they right. play They play a ton of games. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, the beginning of the season for NHL, it could be a little slower, but um, I'm just, like 
trying to like steal tips and moves yeah. <laughs> from those guys. So like even the early games, I'm like glued to the TV if I if I get a chance yeah, to. Taking but, notes. Yeah. Oh, that's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I always have a plan, and then it's totally gone once I hit the eyes because I just don't have the skill like those guys do. But I like to pretend, you know, at least while I'm watching. Well, I mean, you can learn the skills too. Yeah. Like watching them, and then you can replicate it. Totally. Yeah. 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 Like there's a kind of a famous. Um, story about this fellow who got who's a golfer who got injured and while he's laid up he was playing all the holes from the I want to say from the whole PGA tour in his in his head like he'd go yeah. through a full round of golf at each uh, each of the stops on the tour and I'm probably butchering this but um, it's gonna be generally true <laughs> to the story but anyways he was laid up playing playing the rounds of golf so then when he came in when he when he's able to get back on the PGA tour and, and play pro golf again. He hadn't really lost anything because he'd no. been going through the yeah. emotions in his head and, and, you know, going through every bit of the golf, you know, like, and I think even um, adjusting for like a, a, you know, like a bad drive or something and then, you know, having yeah. to get himself out of the rough or whatever it might be, you know. He was ready. Yeah. So this <laughs> a lot to that mental game for sure. Yeah. And then like staying positive and stuff. Yeah. Mess, mess with my mic a lot. So <laughs> it feels like it's, it's just hard to get it just right. One of these days I'll stop messing with it maybe. No, it's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna try to adjust my my posture and keep my back from getting seized up on me. Yeah. But well, shoot, we got about an hour and a half, and um, we'll let you go. Let's. Uh, or do we miss anything? Was there anything else we wanted to mention? Um, I think we covered a lot. Yeah. I mean, we can always come back and talk about. I mean, there's like a plethora of things to talk about. Absolutely. What do you think we'll be talking on October? Yeah. 16th? Is that the 16th? Yeah, I was going to say. I think 16th. Because, like, I'm going to be gone for a while because I'm actually going to Lolo National Forest oh. that first week in October because I'm going to be helping. Um, they're repairing the roof at Morgan Case, which this is a fun story about historic uh, items that someone who's not an archaeologist might think is trash. Oh, yeah. But when they were restoring the Morgan Case homestead, they actually found a collection of artifacts kind of in the door jam. Oh. And they ended up being uh, hoodoo artifacts. And so hoodoo is a kind of like a cultural practice or religious practice um, by people in West African culture. And this is the furthest example found in the north of the western United States, like the furthest Whoa. western north example. That is nuts. Of hoodoo uh, magic practice. And that is yeah. wild. And, I mean, Morgan Case is actually named for Annie Morgan, who was um, a formerly enslaved person who ended up coming out west, and she cooked for Custer, and then she ended up meeting uh, her partner, Joseph Case, and uh, they started this homestead. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, she's a really fascinating and incredible person to talk about. And also, like, the archaeology and history of magic, too. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that because, yeah. you know, we talked about PBS earlier, but, like, the PBS special uh, on, like, Voodoo was, like, really cool. I checked yeah. out a long time ago um, because, you know, like, the Voodoo always kind of had, like, the dark magic and stuff. And then yeah. you get on that PBS special, they went talked to, like, practitioners and people who were, like, historically uh, have kept Voodoo intact. And it's way more of a positive spin. It's not like a, all this dark magic yeah. like it, like the movies kind of make it out to be, you know. Yeah. It's kind of fun that way. Like, you you know, like there's a Princess and the Frog cartoon where there's like this voodoo person and then the like there's two different sides of the voodoo. There's like the dark right. magic one and then there's like the the light magic gal like who lives in the swamp who's you know like uh, more the positive side of voodoo, which like, it's probably accurate-ish. You know, like the dark and light side of things. You know. Yeah. So, but I had no idea about hoodoo because when you said that, it made me think about Hoodoo Lake, which is yeah. 
Like, I wonder how that. Do you know anything about who you like? Well, I was actually just looking at that today because oh, <laughs> really? I found this. Uh, so we're actually presenting on terracing. Oh, yeah. uh, not to get on to another very uh, interesting topic of cultural resources that we have on this forest, but mm-hmm. we have terracing. Yeah. Uh, so we're actually presenting on uh, terracing and specifically uh, that um, kind of uh, bitterroot controversy that occurred in the 70s. Oh. Yeah, at, at the Montana Historical Society Annual Conference in Helena, September 27th, that week. Oh. Yeah. Wow. I kind of want to pull on that thread, but I figured, like, that's probably another podcast in itself. Yeah. You think? Yeah. I think maybe. But I was looking uh, at Hoodoo Lake because we're putting together um, a presentation. So I've got historic photographs. Oh. And we're kind of talking about the different forest management practices and the different decades and, like, periods of time and how it changes and why, like, terracing is so drastic when it happens. Yeah, because I don't, you know, I've seen it, of course. Like, all, especially anyone in the forest service is... is aware like i'm vaguely you know like not yeah. vaguely but i'm like i've seen it but i'm, I'm you know don't know why or it's got bad rap. yeah that's what yeah. i was thinking yeah <laughs> so like yeah i don't know much about it but i just know oh, i know. Exists, you know i don't know everything but i know a fair amount right now yeah from the presentation but there are a lot of uh people who live in the valley that were actually involved in the terracing and i mean they're fantastic to speak to is have a plethora of knowledge to share oh cool yeah that's that's important like you can get the the boots in the ground knowledge and why and, yeah. and what they're doing you know that, that goes a long way for sure yeah dang yeah, you're doing some important work that uh the hoodoo lake thing and i found out recently about it because um i had i kind of rescued a old poster like a oh, wow. some ranger yeah, you know, yeah it's in the little cubicle office area like i'll have to show you but um someone taped a picture uh, like an old black and white photo to it and okay. um i didn't like mess with it until i was actually like moved to my in my new spot there my yeah. new office there and so like um once i finally got hung then i pulled the picture off and looked at it I was like i think it's called bill bell is the name and he was a ranger yeah yeah he was yeah yeah there's a photo of him out at hoodoo lake oh really yeah yeah, yeah. so that's how i tracked that down wait what, so how do you how do you know about this just because um, you're looking up hoodoo lake or no, uh, we have an archive. So uh, in our curation facility, I mean, we've got artifacts and we've got archives. And within our archive collection is a series of photographs oh. that's been taken, um, historic photographs. And one of them was his bell in his uh, adventures at Hoodoo Lake. And then there's oh. another of a young fisherman who's fishing out there. And oh, really? Yeah. Jeez, that's cool. Yeah. I wonder if the same photo that I have. Might be. We can we can look. Yeah, we'll have to check it out. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna try to describe it to you, but I I would not do very well because I haven't had it up very long, and I didn't really look at it that close. I just kind of flipped it over, looked at the description, then stuck it back to the uh, ranger poster I have. And uh, but it, yeah, it was wild because when I looked up the history of Bill Bell, it came up with Elk Summit Ranger District, mm-hmm. and that I think he. I want to say he's the reason why there was a log mill there for a minute there. And that was uh, in the creek that was fed by Hoodoo Lake. And there were only like a couple months of the year they could use it. Mm -hmm. And I found a picture of the old mill. It was really cool. And they used it to build all the structures around there. Yeah, really interesting stuff. It is. And do you know, did they bring the mill in from Hamilton? Because that's what it kind of sounded like. Like they brought it in through Blodgett. Yeah, I think they brought parts of it and then reconstructed it. Yeah, there at uh, Elk Summit. Yeah, really cool. And I guess there's not yeah. anything of it left, really. But I, I still want to get back there and check it out and just see the spot where it was. Yeah, I mean, 
we should plan to go out and survey next summer because oh. um, we've kind of entered our reporting phase so we're no longer doing field stuff for the oh. most part unless oh. we have like something we have to go look at yeah so like if something like say like a, a fire person or you know tr- trail or whoever you know random or just random public like tripped over something that was uh significant history yeah uh, historic significance um would that be like a stop what you're doing, go out and investigate and check it out? or? Oh, it depends. I mean, it depends on what it is. So we don't necessarily like shut projects down just because like, somebody tripped over a can. But yeah. if it's like a Clovis point, uh, I'd probably be like, what? Like, I'll be there in five. I got you. Yeah, because like, <laughs> my brain goes like Jurassic Park. Like, you know, if they found like something worth, like, like I said, like Clovis. You know, well, like, oh. it's something that, you know, is really rare for us to find will be like running running out there yeah but and not to say that the can's not important because the can is important but uh, we do have quite a few examples of a lot of these types of cans that we have in the forest from like the 50s and the 60s and 70s yeah i, I can imagine especially from like all the logging days and stuff mm-hmm. it's yeah. amazing all the lo- logging litter out there well, you know tons. <laughs> yeah tons of chokers and stuff like so many fires I've been on, you trip over a choker in the woods. Oh my God. Not another <laughs> oh, one. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> the first one I find, like, this is cool. And I, like, yeah. like trying to figure out what it was at first. And then uh, everyone who's, you know, been around, especially the bitter and Lolo areas, like, yeah, uh, yeah, they're all over. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, nah, this is the first one I found. Like, they can't be that common. And then you know, the more I fought fire around this area, the more more I found. And I was like, oh, gotcha. Because <laughs> that just kind of was, like, part of the, um, what do you call it, like, uh, your loss, you know, like one of the like assumed losses is choker cables, I guess, you know, like it, yeah. they weren't that expensive compared to like what the worth was of the choker or something. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. explaining this wrong, but so they, a lot of them got left behind if they broke, they just grabbed a new one and just kind of left it lay and yeah, yeah or if they got lost and, you know, moved on and wasn't like a, a big concern, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. No, they just replaced it. Yeah, but that Hoodoo Lake though, crazy. Like I didn't yeah. know anything about this Hoodoo Magic. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, like in movies and cartoons or something, they've kind of like referenced like something being like kind of like eerie being like hoodoo or something, like some kind of magical thing. Well, so. and hoodoo is kind of more of like a healing form, too. What um. Annie Morgan at least was practicing was a healing form. So the artifacts that they found on the Lolo in the Morgan Case homestead uh, just point to the fact that she had, she was kind of practicing the healing version of hoodoo because her partner had been injured during the Civil War and she helped to heal him. Wow, that's yeah. so cool. It's really, it's really cool. Man, yeah, it's really cool. Especially, yeah, like, you know, having that positive, you know, like, aspect of it, too, yeah. you know? Like, that's, that's super cool. I mean, all of it, I mean, even if I guess it was dark magic, it'd be, like, still intriguing <laughs> to me, but, like, it's, it's super cool that she was, like, practicing, you yeah. know, to, to help her partner out and, and you heal, heal him. Yeah. It's, like, one of those things where you hear the story, like, man, I wish I could have met this lady. She sounds really interesting, you know? Yeah, I mean, she was a really fascinating person. So I, there have been some more in-depth research that's been done to her, uh, or not done to her, but done about her. her. Yeah. Uh, yeah, when they were, I think, listing Morgan Case in the National Register. So that nomination form has a lot of information. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's really cool. Is, is she in any books, or are there books written about her or anything? Why, there are a few that have been written about her. I can kind of give you some titles if yeah. you're interested in reading more about her. Uh, she was also inducted into the Cowboy Hall of Fame. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So sh- did she, like, do rodeo or? I don't think she did rodeo, I think, because um, she was a homesteader. Oh, like that kind of cowboy. Yeah. Like the, the original cowboy. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
not just the sport. But the sport, yeah. I mean, sports tough as tough as heck too. But like, yes. I, uh, yeah, nothing against them at all. No, um, no. But yeah, the original cowboy, you know, like that's some that's some real yeah. tough stuff. And some people still yeah. do it, you know. Like, uh, my brother helped out with a, a branding um, not too long ago, where they're still using horses and roping, and you wow. know, yeah, still like not using the squeeze shoe to to brand. So yeah, kind of wow. cool to get some of that traditional stuff in. Yeah. Tough, tough people. Holy cow. It's tough. Yeah, man. I don't know if I would have survived. I feel so soft now. <laughs> <laughs> like back when I was like smoke jumping and stuff, I was like, oh yeah, whatever. You know, another just day's work. And thought I'm old and like not as active. You know. But when it's different, because we're used to kind of our own comforts and we have our own challenges today versus back then. Yeah, totally. I think it's more of a, a mental battle than it was back then. I mean, there was stuff to be like worried about, but. It was more like, you know, you had these things to get done and, you know, it wasn't as much as like the social medias and all this other outside static, you know, you had your, like, get your firewood, gather your food, water, you know, your house, have your, you know, shelter and get those things squared away and then income later on when, you know, when that kind of more mattered in history, I guess. But yeah, a little more simple yeah. times, I guess. Well, I mean, you still had, like, societal pressures. It just wasn't on your phone. In your face. Yeah. yeah. yeah like, maybe it was, like, in your face, but, like, you go home and maybe like, it wasn't as bad. Like your in-laws? Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, I don't know. Maybe, like, oh, not just your in-laws, but, like... Neighbors and stuff. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, that's probably always existed. Yeah. You know, someone's, you know, grass is greener kind of deal, but... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Different Actually, times. you don't even use social media. You don't use it? No. No, I didn't. Until I started this, I did not mess with it because it's just a distraction. You know, like I don't yeah. only watch TV. Um, like we were talking hockey earlier, unless it's like the playoffs and um, something I'm really interested in. Like even, I guess it has to be the team I'm rooting for, like the Hawks, the Blackhawks. Like otherwise I'd probably won't really pay attention because like, you know, you lose like three hours of your, of your day, you know, just staring at a screen, watching a sport. So like it's hard for me to allocate that much time towards TV. Because I'd rather be doing anything else, you know, like yeah. tinkering on this thing or, you know, wrestling around with family or whatever it might be, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, the distraction. So, I, that's why I was keeping away from having social media. Yeah. What? I'm surprised, like, you're younger and not having any social media. <laughs> well, I have social media. I just, like, um, I don't know how you say it. I didn't delete it, but I just, like, put it on pause um, after oh. college. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I mean, once they left college and you're just, like, doing professional stuff i mean i'm not gonna post like when we're out on a survey on my instagram like yeah just did a 12 mile hike into big creek yeah i put some people might be interested in that i was more picturing you in the can it's like selfie <laughs> maybe <laughs> but it is also kind of a concern because like, you can pull like a geotag from a photo oh. and like some people like they are just genuinely interested and that's why it's so important to like go and do podcasts and do a lot of the public outreach activities that we're doing even right now yeah. um but there are some people that have like kind of um i guess like a negative or nefarious, nefarious approach affairs. yeah and they will go and like loot and there's a huge issue especially with rock art sites of people uh, graffitiing destroying these very sacred spots and archaeological sites and then they post a photo on instagram and tag their handle yeah oh, not good not so, smart yeah that's a bad deal i, I kind of the same drift from social media too like in, in college and stuff like facebook was especially me being older like facebook was huge 
and it's how you kept in contact with people and yeah. you know like figured out like what what all your friends and family were doing and then like you said like after college though like i got busy doing career and yeah. um yeah, i started smoke shopping not long after i got my bachelor's degree so i uh was too busy dealing with that stuff and then yeah. i didn't want it to impact uh any kind of hiring either you know like right have some dumb college photo that i didn't think about or forgot about and you know yeah. somebody like uh we don't want to hire this guy you know so that, that's when I got rid of it and then had no plans on getting it back until I started doing this and you know having people like you on you know who have like yeah. all this awesome information well, so thank you. yeah no it's good yeah, I really appreciate, appreciate having you and then being able to help get like you said all this information out and yeah. then also just uh, a little education too you know like um you find something don't disturb it you know get a hold of somebody who knows more about it, like you know yeah talk to your local like said park ranger station whatever yeah you like reach out to whoever is you know the authority there they'll get the information to the right person yeah i uh, also for some archaeologists like uh, if you're i mean some local conferences i uh, you can go to and kind of interact with uh, other professionals uh, if you're really really interested in like volunteering uh some states have something called like a site stewardship program oh, cool. and sometimes that's like a separate deal or sometimes it's intertwined with the state historic preservation office it just depends on where you're at yeah. and you can actually apply to be a volunteer site steward which means you go out to the archaeological site and you kind of just monitor it and you can kind of interact with other members of the public just make sure, like, again, like, it might be a rock art site, and just make sure nobody's, like, running their Instagram handle on, you know, over hundreds of thousands of years of history and yeah. ruining it. Oh, what a bad deal. That's so dumb. Yeah. People, yeah. But, I mean, those opportunities do exist, and I do encourage, like, if you are super interested uh, in archaeology or history, cultural resource management in general, to attend local conferences, especially if you're in school or you're thinking about what you're going to do when you graduate. Yeah. In terms of like internship opportunities, and even here on the Bitterroot, I mean, people can volunteer with us. That's a good point. Volunteering yeah. is so big. Like, I wish I had done more of it when I was younger because uh, it's. Uh, I think yeah. it's how you figure out what you like and what direction. Like, if you, especially you don't know, like some, yeah. like me. I mean, I'm still kind of chasing my path, but uh, I mean, I don't know if I would volunteer more if I would have figured it out a little quicker, you know, and figured out more. But I don't. I guess I take that back a little bit because you evolve as a human, you yeah. know, and if you're still trying to like always find something new and exciting, you'll evolve and change and find something else you like down the road. So, yeah, but and all of your experience can culminate into who you are and that's important too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that's why like, uh, this podcast is, is doing all right, you know, and people yeah. seem to like it cause it's doing really good. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate it. I'm trying, <laughs> but yeah, I think it does all right though. Cause I, you know, I got a little experience in a lot of things and very little experience in a lot of things. And, uh, it, you know, and I'm curious. So, so like, just like passing, like talking about, I think you, did you talk to me first about the lookout and yeah. then like, yeah. yeah, so I was like, oh, that is cool. What's that about? And then I started asking more questions, and I was like, holy cow. And, you know, I think that's what led to this podcast, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah this episode. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's cool. Because especially like that, like just more in passing. And um, didn't know if you'd be into it, you know, into the podcast. So, like, I was oh, like, yeah. Hey. I always say yes to opportunities. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to be, right? Yeah. Because it's kind of like the volunteer thing. You, you, then you know... Because either way, like, however it works out, right? Like, if you, you go and have a bad experience, like, okay, I know I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah, exactly. But, or it could be the opposite. You have, like, the best experience ever. You're like, wow, I want to do that more, you know? Yeah. I mean, I chose this career path based off of an internship that I got oh, really? when I was 19 years old. Oh, wow. So I've been working for the federal government since I was 19, like, on and off, because I went back to school and then yeah. went back. So. Dang. 
That's awesome. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so you worked out there, you know, yeah. volunteering and then found your path. And yeah, and uh, the internships are pretty cool. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Man. And now you're, you're here doing a Halloween episode with me, talking about the Magruder yeah. Massacre. That's awesome. Now I'm an archaeologist for the Bitterroot National Forest. Yeah, yeah, even more important. No. <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> no, but it, I mean, it really is, though, because, like, the work you're doing is huge. Like, we're talking and, and uh, yeah, and it, it's weird because, like, it kind of inter- incorporates, like, my ancestors, you know, like, yeah. my descendants, you know, from the Nez Perce tribe. And so it's, it's kind of cool, you know, because you're kind of, like, caretaking my history as well and and all of our histories really you know we all come from the same place but well i mean my job is to serve the communities i mean i just want to protect the history and you know do the best that i can with the best of my ability with the best of what i know now based off our methods and technology yeah i'm just doing the thing i think is best and all i can hope for is that in 50 years when uh, the next archaeologist comes in after me. Uh, I've done a good or decent job. Yeah, totally. Like, hand, yeah, hand it off, and then you, like, trace your stuff back. and like, oh, yeah, this yeah. is great, you know, and, and give a good launching point for them. Because, like yeah. I said, as technology and, and the techniques change, you know, they'll, they can go back over and, and hopefully have some good, like, hopefully anchor <laughs> points from what you said. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, some good anchor points of what, like, you'd, you'd seen and checked out and discovered and, and you know, um, took notes on and. Yeah, it's important. And I guess the last thing I want to, uh, I mean, I'll, man, we keep going down <laughs> things. So you, like every time, like you talk about something, it bumps me on something else. We'd already talked about our question ahead, and I think we talked about lidar for a hot second. Yeah, yeah, lidar. Yeah, were you gonna use it on this forest? Or? Yes, yes. Yeah. Can uh, we talk about that? Yeah, we can. Second, edit that out. No, it's okay. Uh, so in Region One of the Forest Service, uh, we have something called. Uh, Heritage uh, Stewardship Enhancement uh, kind of program, maybe, if you will. Uh, So we have some funding that's been put aside, and we put forward uh, applications for projects that we'd like to do or that we need to do. Um, So we put forward two projects this past year for that funding opportunity. One uh, was for curation supplies. So I'll be working on rehousing our curation like redoing kind of our creation facility. Oh, cool. Uh, and then the other project we put forward uh, that was approved and we, receive, we will receive funding for uh, was to get a LiDAR machine. So this will be for the whole region. Oh, wow. But um, the LiDAR machine will be used uh, to kind of capture um, different pictograph sites that we have on the forest. Because on our forest so far, what we've only found are pictograph sites, uh, which is painting on the rock. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, we have uh, some rock shelters that we'll use LIDAR for because we have had some issues with looting at at least one site, which is really unfortunate. Yeah, that's really sad. Yeah. And we had set up kind of like a game camera, and then somebody stole it and then put it back after they deleted the footage. So, I mean, that's not cool. No. Smart. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but I mean, is that cool? No. I just don't loot it, you know, yeah. like, appreciate it. Don't loot it. Yeah, because you ruin it for everybody else. Yeah, and you know, this is part of uh, the indigenous community's heritage and history in this area as well. And by looting it, I mean, you're taking those artifacts that are sacred and they're meant to be kept in situ in this area and you're removing it. Yeah, to, yeah. I don't know decorate your house sell on ebay i mean 
No. It's not cool. Yeah, because it's I'm, disrespectful. I'd absolutely. Say. Yeah. 100% it's illegal disrespectful. and disrectful. Yeah, because yeah, there's power in those artifacts and leaving where yeah. they are is is part of the power. And um, and like for me, like thinking about it in like terms of artifacts in like your own like lifespan or your family lifespan, like recent history, right? Like think about the stuff that's been handed down that yeah. like you care about. You don't want someone else like just you know like no. sna- like running like nicking it. Yeah, that, that's terrible. Like, yeah, that was a picture of my family. You know. Yeah, and I feel like maybe because you know I have had this training experience and I'm going to school for this that maybe that's how I think about it and for other people who maybe haven't been in archaeology and they just see this site they're looting it either because they know it's got goods or they're thinking about these artifacts as goods um, they don't really make that connection yeah I think me and James were talking about the Indiana Jones generation like you go and raid you know And but you kind of missed the story of that of that movie because the movie the reason why he was taking it was to preserve it because it was otherwise going to get sold or destroyed right like the you know like um I don't know I'm trying to think of one of the examples that was like going to get sold like, and he's like it belongs in the museum you know and, like he's on top of the train I think he was yelling because like they, yeah you know, yeah oh wait I mean to take it back I mean was he I mean I guess <laughs> yeah I think well it's a hard it's hard, especially in archaeology, and I think we're coming to those crossroads now in this field of, um, you know, we do want to preserve and protect, and we are very interested in history, and that's why we're all in this field, because yeah. we're interested in this. And But, I mean, we have to remember that we are serving the communities, we are stores of this information. Yeah. So. How do you feel about Indiana Jones, then? He's got a bad message? I don't think he has a bad <laughs> message. I think, you know... I mean, I wasn't into, not this past movie, I haven't seen it, but yeah. the one before that, the Crystal Skull movie. I didn't see that one. I, I did see that one, because, yeah. you know, I'd seen the first three, and as you pointed out, I am very young. <laughs> yeah, so I'm kind of, I'm, well, yeah, I'm kind of impressed that you saw the first three, because they're, I mean, they're kind of even old for me, you know? Well, I mean, my dad is older, and so... Um, He's my age, probably, huh? No. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> uh, he is, um, he's actually retired now. Oh, nice. Awesome. Yeah, so he's older. Yeah, so um, he's like in the Indiana Jones generation, all that. Older. Right? Yeah. Yeah, older. Older. He's, yeah, he's older. Yeah. But, yeah, so I saw Indiana Jones uh, through him. And I don't know. I mean, we kind of did grow up watching these movies, and you are kind of looking for that excitement. But I don't think that's necessarily why most of us are joining the field of archaeology. Again, I mean, we just have a passion and a love for history. Yeah, and, and yeah, kind of like you were saying, like his his story isn't really like pr- preservation. I mean, he's kind of saving it from like someone else yeah. from taking it, but he's still taking it. And yeah, you know, like, kind of like, and he always he's still, yeah. He always destroys the site. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like. I mean, yeah, he's still taking it. Like he's yeah. still excavating and removing it from the descendant and in indigenous communities. Yeah, totally. Uh, and I think, you know, at that time period, that was what was common. Yeah. Um, but now I think we have a duty to kind of work. It's a respect thing. I mean, to work with the indigenous and descendant communities whose history were so interested in telling and so interested in preserving and being stores of Mm -hmm. and kind of figuring out uh, with them like what you know they're comfortable with in the confines of their culture and how they would like artifacts displayed and stored and that's been a huge push uh, in curation 
world oh, too yeah that's great to hear too and i you know i was thinking about this while you're talking too about like um a lot of times when people see like mummies and egyptians mm. like they don't think they think of like a race that's gone you know like romans right. or something where it's like yeah wouldn't the stuff that a lot of stuff that you're going through around here like the tribe is still alive and well yeah. so it's like yeah. you're, you're dealing with like their ancestors like not that far you know down the road of, or in the past you know yeah well, artifacts so yeah, yeah i mean if you think about it in like the span of time i mean yeah, yeah. it's important like you know so often we say we're dealing or we're working with peoples of the past but these people are still very much alive right yeah totally and I think people miss that when they think yeah because they, they, you know, they I think a lot of times they go to like more of like the timeline the break in the timeline right like right. The, the history just stops and then all of a sudden there's new people but it's like when the history never stops no. I mean it just changes yeah so I mean you're just always adapting and changing to what's happening around you and your environments and your circumstances yeah and the messaging, you know, like, yeah. like I said, you know, before in the Indiana Jones days, it was like taken, you know, like. Just put it in the museum. Put it in the museum, yeah. I mean, that was the appropriate way. And like how I said earlier about how I'm doing things, you know, in the way that I perceive is right based off how I've been taught and what we're talking about now in the field and yeah. what's current and all this. And in 50 years, it will change, won't it? Yeah, totally. And so who knows? I mean, I could be crucified just like Indiana Jones and everything I've ever done is terrible. And That'd be unfortunate. That would be because I'm doing what I think is right. And maybe he thought fictionally he was doing what he thought was right. Yeah. And that's not necessarily right from how we would look at it now. Yeah, totally. So it's unfortunate because it, you know, like he, you know, kind of, you can't be the bad guy in the story yeah. when you're not, when you're doing per the period, you're doing everything right in up to the standards, you know? Right. Oh. And I think it's also like a different mindset. I mean, that was just the mindset that they had then and the mindset that we have now in our field is very different. Yeah, and totally. I think owning the story, I mean like, yeah, you know, taking other people's history and artifacts and sacred items and putting them in our museums might not have been the best call and it, you know, might be a little disrespectful and yeah. there are better ways to go about, you know, doing archaeology and historical research that are inclusive and all encompassing and Yeah. Yeah and like support. Yeah, totally, yeah. Like you, you know, you said earlier, like respectful too and uh yeah, and the fire kind of has the same thing. I don't know if you heard yeah. but like uh a lot of people call it the smoky propaganda because like yeah. Smokey's message has changed and so like even even when I first started, it was like all fire is bad. You know, and that was Smokey's message, and right. you know he's just relaying like what we were th thought was the best practice. Like you know, put it all out, and then. Well, and do they like teach you the story behind that? Behind Smokey, or put that all the message? Fires out? Yeah, the 10 a.m. policy. Um, I don't know. I want to hear your version before I speak. Oh no, I want to hear your version. I guess <laughs> uh, you asked me first. I don't know. Yeah, the 10 a.m. policy, like um, yeah. I mean, like I'll put all fires out by 10 a.m. kind mm -hmm. of deal. Um, be 10 a.m. the next day after they've been reported. Yeah. Yeah, or yeah, spotted. Cause I, yeah, because I was like, and that's kind of the um, the start of the smoke jumpers, right? Is like to get on fires quickly, put them out by 10 a.m. Um, I don't know. I guess that's but as far as I, my brain goes with it, I guess. I'm trying to think. So, like, uh, in 1910, when the Great Fires happened, um, there was this huge push afterwards uh, for, like, total um, fire suppression. Oh, like yeah. No fire should be going. Uh, no, nat no fire is natural. And what we're seeing now kind of in our landscapes is that 
fire is a very natural component and even uh, you know indigenous communities the salish and those peers who were living in this area before um you know they were removed and not not all members of the salish and the nose peers have been removed some live here in the bitterroot yeah. they don't live on the reservation make that clear yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> um they're not just stuck there yeah yeah no i mean uh, they were utilizing uh, burning procedures to kind of manage vegetation in the forest too. Yeah, for you know, yeah. as long as they know. Like yeah, as so long they're as doing know, prescribed right? burns, and then you know, wildfires for the most part are pretty natural, and they kind of decrease density in some of the stands. Yeah, and it's wild because like yeah, the more you you like look into the past and like kind of just more be, I guess observational. I guess the kind of the word I'm looking for, yeah. just like open to new ideas and old ideas and uh more old ideas i guess but all ideas i guess kind of be open to it and like and kind of suss it out to see like what what seems to be the the best practice i guess you know and like we've had yeah. a lot of time to like look back on it too of what how we've been managing the forest since 1910 like you're saying right. and so me finding out more i guess years after i started fire i found out about indigenous people doing their own prescribed fire to help the landscape and then um our old poster for our old uh prevention trailer um that used to like carry all the prevention stuff and go like set up at like events to help you know teach um some, you know good fire practices had a picture of this redheaded woodpecker carrying a stick on a flaming stick like a fire ember yeah. and what it was depicting was this woodpecker coming from a burned area picking up a, a stick that still had fire in it you know on it like a hot stick and carrying it to an unburned area and placing it it's so it's continuing the fire growth wow and like as far as i know that actually happens so like even nature you know like yeah. a bird is still like sees the benefits of fire so it's trying to spread the fire to benefit itself and it's you know like yeah. probably like family or whatever you know too or just maybe itself maybe it's selfish but i get you know probably it's probably a species though like has uh, some kind of benefit from fire you know it's redheaded yeah. woodpecker so that's like nuts to see that and but i understand it though 1910 you know the fires yeah. in 1910 were so gnarly i mean like around horrendous horrendous yeah. yeah burned up whole towns most of wallace like the taft taft yeah because all of taft right got burned yeah. up right yeah Whew. yeah because I, I watched the just a little like documentary part of the folks in wallace trying to prepare and it's like it wasn't really i mean they knew it was coming which is crazy yeah. And uh, they're just trying to prepare for it and still just took a giant chunk of the town. Like, that would be so scary. And anyone who's been through Wallace knows that corridor is very narrow. It is. Oh, lots of trees. A lot of trees. <laughs> yeah. Well, shoot, I'd probably end it there, but I really appreciate you coming on. And, oh, um, thank you. Yeah, if, if, if I keep talking, I'm going to keep asking you questions. We'll be here all okay. night. <laughs> but, uh, and it's Friday, so I want to, you know, look, go enjoy the weekend. You're not, well, you're not working you. this weekend, are you? Um, probably probably a little oh, bit. No, um, don't do it. We have this conference and then Matt's going to be out because he's got um, something going on. Oh, gotcha. So, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to get prepared because we're doing a practice run through on Monday of our presentation. <laughs> Apologies for the, <laughs> okay. the recorder dying on us. Um, but yeah, like I was saying, like really appreciate you coming coming out. And, thank uh, you. I appreciate yeah. the invite and thank you for allowing me to talk about you know, history and archaeology and what's everything we do in heritage yeah what's important you know like well i was reloading the barriers you were talking about the conference and good luck in the conference by the Thank way you. yeah <laughs> like that's that's super important like you were saying just like recruitment and just spreading the good word of what you guys are doing down here and yeah 
yeah. and really nationally what's going on probably all around the world i mean that's that's what's really cool about archaeology it's yeah. like you know it's a global thing where it is. you know i mean fire kind of is but not really you know so well, no fire is i mean there's a lot of uh different fire suppression techniques and uh, like prescribed burn methods that can yeah. be learned from around the world and different you know management strategies yeah say. totally and i guess i don't know enough about to really speak on it. it's part of it too because like you said especially the prescribed fire like we mentioned for a minute just like the indigenous people doing mm-hmm. it to help soil and and um you know regrowth and you know like the serotonous cones i think is the right is the right word for the cones that you know come back or yeah. open because of fire and you know are able to distribute their seeds because of you know fire coming through right. um but yeah, well, I'll keep going, so I'll cut myself <laughs> off. So thanks again, Emily. save something for the next podcast, right? Yeah, yeah, for the next one. Yeah, I'm <laughs> lo- really looking forward to it, and I hope everyone else is, too. We had some teasers out there that we'll we'll get to, you know, and yeah. we find out that was a Friday the 13th. Yeah. So we'll, we'll track that down for next time. Next but, time. Yeah, thanks stay again. Stay tuned. Yeah, stay <laughs> tuned, and thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and uh, yeah, I hope you all enjoy. Thank you again.